If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift, the Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Now streaming only on Disney Plus. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode number 178. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by the lovely Chris Reagan. Chris, how are you today, my friend? Hey, yeah, I'm uh, I'm I'm feeling kind of interesting today because Ooh. I've been working on some videos lately and I'm kind of crunching on some deadlines and I forgot what it was like to crunch this Ooh. hard because I've Ooh. been awake for about I think as of right now, like about 23 hours nice. and I'm not tired yet. So I'm at, the, so I'm at that weird, I'm at that weird point where I'm like past, you know, I was like really tired earlier. I was like, nah, I got to get this done. And now I'm in this weird state of like, almost like a, like Buddhist Zen where I feel like I could like probably like levitate things if I really tried hard enough, but you're in a state of mania. Yeah. Right now I'm feeling manic. So we, we might have a very interesting <laughs> show today. Cool. Well, welcome, sleep-deprived Chris Ragon, working on secret <laughs> projects. And of course, Dustin Furman, executive producer of Last Day Media, co-host. Welcome. How are you today? I'm feeling good. It's been a productive day. We're a little bit out of schedule with recording stuff. Like normally we record this on Thursdays, but we're doing it Wednesday because Thanksgiving's on Thursday. But everything's going smoothly overall, so I really can't complain. My parents are here. We've had a dog throw up today we've had a dog uh poop on the floor uh it's just been somewhat chaos in in the Furman house but at the same time it's productive so something's eventually going to go wrong yeah well good i'm glad that we're both we're all we're we're like a bunch of rubber bands ready to snap (laughs) (laughs) who knows what might happen today you're right we're recording this everything feels a little weird because even in preparing the show i had forgotten for like half the day yesterday i'm like oh i gotta write the show and then I, i did it kind of late and I'm sleeping kind of weird. Like I don't feel like I'm sleeping very well. Are you? Are right you? Now. Are you sick? You kind of sound a little, uh, a little clogged up. Do I? Yeah, maybe I. Maybe I am getting sick. Um, mm. I don't know though. I don't. I don't know. It's time. I don't know. I just don't feel. Probably look a little, a little bad too. But I've been going to bed a little earlier, but also getting up earlier. And uh, why do people feel like they need to call you at eight or nine in the morning? Mm. (laughs) that's unacceptable it's disrespectful it's completely it's i agree it's both unacceptable and disrespectful 
I completely agree with you. So that's not helping me either. But welcome one, welcome all to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. We never miss a week, even on Thanksgiving week here in the United States, the wonderful United States. We appreciate your support, your love and your kindness, especially on Patreon, patreon.com slash Media, where you can get early ad free access to every episode of this show. The ability to submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas, get your name in the credits, access to Q&A's. And of course, a key feature and a very key feature indeed, Sacred Symbols Plus, our PlayStation podcast supplement that goes live twice a week over on Patreon. Recent topics include an episode all about PS5's first year with Tom from Moore's Law is Dead going into the technical aspects and if it has lived up to the promise or not based on a new Mark Cerny video that Wired very quietly published last week. So that's a fun video. Of course, I spoke recently with lawyer Rick Hogue about what's going on with Activision. Extensive conversation there. We do an episode all about PS5's birthday, an episode with Brian from PS5 Trophies, all about the trophy system. Uh, and then some spoiler cast and review discussions. Kana, I think, is the most recent one to go up. We have Tales of Arise recorded in In the Can, uh, one about mental health, like an episode about mental health in the can. And Tony Rivera wrote into us and said, hey, boys, I stayed up until 2 a.m. last night playing Doki Doki Literature Club. My initial thought after the first hour was, what the fuck, Colin? And now after waking up the next day, I stand by my original assessment, although I'm from a completely different angle. I really hope you do a spoiler cast on this one. Until then, I'll be keeping a close eye on Dustin during these shows. Please do uh, keep a close eye on him. We don't know if he's going to phase in or phase out. But uh, the Doki Doki Literature Club plus spoiler (laughs) cast and review discussion is is already recorded and in the can. And indeed will be coming out in the coming weeks as well. So that's all for patrons over at patreon.com slash Media. Thank you very much. Of course, you can also buy merch at laststandmedia.shop. And Stephen Cunningham wrote in and said, Dear Sacred Candidates, are we just going to gloss over the fact that Chris will not be 35 years old on January 20th, 2025, thus making him constitutionally ineligible to hold the office of the vice presidency? How does this constitutional crisis play out where an ineligible candidate still reaches 270 electoral votes? What loopholes in the 12th and 25th Amendments will Colin use to force this ticket through? This is an interesting question based on our merch, because one of our most popular pieces of merch right now is Moriarty Reagan 2024. And uh, it's true that Chris will not be eligible. But here's the thing. And here's what I want people to consider carefully. I'm pretty sure that Ted Cruz was is not eligible to be president of the United States. No one has explained to me how he could be eligible to be president of the United States. But he still ran for president of the United States. Now, why do I say Ted Cruz can't be president? It's because he was born in Canada. Yeah. He's not natural born. Now, John McCain ran for president and was not born in the United States, but was born on a military base, specifically in the Panama zone, and thus is an American citizen natural born. So, Chris, what I'm saying here is that I challenge anyone to bring us to the Supreme Court about this, it would not be the first time that someone that is ineligible ran. In but yeah, that, yeah, that is true. I remember that have I remember that specific point being brought up about Ted Cruz. And I remember being like, "Oh yeah, weird. How is how is this his, how is this happening? Are his but, parents Canadian? Like, what what's going on with this? Like, it just I seems- think he, maybe one of his parents is Canadian or whatever. It's just for people that don't know, in the United States, hmm. you have to be a natural born citizen of the United, in the United States to run for president. You cannot be an immigrant and run for president. But or be president. That's actually the key thing. Be president. And I think the thing with Ted Cruz, as I remember, was people saying like, oh, well, I guess we'll worry about that if you have, you know, worry about that later. Right. Uh, So Tony or I'm sorry, not Tony, Stephen. Thank you for writing in. But worry not. I guarantee you this will be an extra constitutional presidential uh, reign anyway, because I'm (laughs) not going anywhere once I get in. 
And Chris will just be a he'll just be one of many puppets. Yeah. You know, little Marianne. My hands far up everyone's ass. Uh, as I, I rule the world. I don't like those kinds of puppets. I was hoping for like a little bit of like oh, a marionette. marionette. You want strings? Yeah, yeah, yeah I want yeah. they want the little strings. They're a little bit more jovial. Fair enough. You know. Fair enough. Now, guys, I have something sad that I want to relay to you, and uh. it really is sad. I actually hadn't even talked to any of you guys about this, but um, a week ago I got a message on Patreon uh, from a guy named Andy Genero, and I've actually talked to him before. I've talked to many, many a fan on Patreon, obviously, about just random things. And uh, he had wrote, written in recently about like David Jaffe and all sorts of stuff, but then he wrote in, and here's what he had to say. He says, hi, Colin. Sorry to get right to the point, but my twin brother, Randy, was shot and killed last Saturday night at a bar with me sitting right by his side. I was reaching out to tell you that you were one of his favorite podcasters. Me and him both always loved your dry humor. And for whatever reason, you have a calming voice that has always been something me and him appreciated. I want you to know in this time of struggle for me, listening to all of Last Day Media will be a small getaway from what my reality is. So I just wanted to offer a sincere thank you. And I talked to Andy a little bit back and forth. I actually got his home address. I'm going to be sending him something soon. But he sent me this this article from WPXI.com, I guess the local news there in Pennsylvania. And it says a man was shot and killed Saturday night inside a crowded Westmoreland County bar while his twin brother and their father was also there. The deadly shooting happened shortly after 9 p.m. at Woodpecker's Pub and Grub in Upper Borough near New Kensington in Pennsylvania. One shot hit 31-year-old Randy Genero in the chest killing him so just a terrible situation something that hits our community close to home and uh while (laughs) it's it's funny i think he would appreciate this knowing that they appreciate the dry humor it seemed fitting to go into a zany story directly into something serious it seems like the tenor that they would appreciate i promised andy his brother that i would talk about this on the show Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to let them know that I'm thinking of them. And uh, it's very sad to hear. Gun violence is a tragic thing. Violence of any sort is a tragic thing. Yeah. You know, I love our Second Amendment here in the United States, but there's no doubt that uh, a lot of people are hurting because of just senseless violence. And so we want to wish the general family the very best indeed. Yeah. All right. Now let's get into some other topics of the discussion here few corrections boys i want to present jeremy s wrote in said greetings gentlemen and co i have a correction last week you guys said or i'm sorry you guys were discussing league of legends and that you didn't think it would ever come to console it was mentioned when riot released their mobile version of the game last year league of legends wild rift that it would come to console eventually though this differs from the long lasting or standing pc version it is worth mentioning hopefully it gets a bit of a touch-up as wild rift is a bit of a nerfed version of league in my opinion thanks and hope you guys soon fall into a wonderful food coma happy holiday thank you jeremy for writing in this is a good uh, in, this is good input uh, specifically because the nerfed version of League of Legends reminds me a little bit of what Fear Axis and 2K tried to do for a little while with Civilization on consoles. Where Remember where we got Civilization Revolution for a little while and that was like all we could get. And then finally <laughs> they gave us like years later, they gave us real Civilization. I know that they would be hard to run. It sounds like a similar sort of thing. But nonetheless, Jeremy, I appreciate you writing in. And let's go to high. I think I'm real, who says, hello, Fox Mulder, Dana Scully and the Smoking Man. It's my birthday on the 24th, so I'm asking you for the gift of decisiveness. Happy birthday. I am trying to catch up on my PS4 backlog and I am overwhelmed by options. 
Here are the games that are in front of me. Ghost of Tsushima, Horizon Zero Dawn, God of War, Bloodborne, and Persona 5. Were you in my situation, where would you start? I am paralyzed by choice and I need your wisdom, gentlemen. Thanks for all that you do. The truth is out there. I guess someone's a X-Files fan. Chris. Ghost of Tsushima, Horizon Zero Dawn, God of War, Bloodborne, Persona 5. These are the choices presented to high. I think I'm real. What should he go towards first? Man, that's I mean, that's like a big kind of that's a big question. I, I think you kind of have to go for like what you think you would enjoy. Like what what's your what what is your genre preference? Like, because I would say, like, the, the the one that jumps out to me immediately, like, if I had not played any of these games and I was looking back on my back catalog and I was looking like, hey, that's the one I got to jump into, I would say Ghost. But that's based on my enjoyment of that game already, you know what I mean? So I don't actually know what I would choose had I not already experienced how good Ghost was. But I think God of War is a pretty essential one. Like, I think that's one that, if you haven't already experienced it, I think it would benefit you greatly to kind of get that under your belt as quick as possible especially because you know you've got this ragnarok sequel right around the corner presumably like relatively soon so maybe it maybe it would be wise of you to kind of like jump into god of war finish that and have it fresh in your mind uh just in time for this you know sequel and just in just in time to be like excited about it and have time to kind of like oh yeah a new god of war game because i know for me it's like it's been a while since i've played god of war so like i know that even though I am excited about Ragnarok, when I jump into it, I'm probably going to be in that weird situation that I am in with like Better Call Saul, where I'm like, yeah, I'm excited, but like, ah, uh, what was, what was going on? <laughs> you know, I'm gonna have to maybe do like a bit of a refresher course. But yeah, you gotta watch the five minute last season. Yeah, whatever on it. But it's funny you say that because my mind immediately went to Horizon, but for the same reason that you mm. brought up God of War it was just. Horizon Forbidden West is imminent. If you've not played Zero Dawn, I think now is the best time for you to do that or you're going to be hopelessly behind, although that would be excitingly behind too. See, the, the fun thing about coming to PlayStation now or coming to PlayStation late is you don't play all this stuff as it comes to the consoles like we do. I've played every PlayStation game really as they've been coming out with rare exception for many years. It must be pretty exciting to come to the console and be like, I don't have to play any. I have Spider-Man and I have Miles Morales. I have Horizon Zero Dawn and I'm going to have Forbidden West. I have God of War and I have Ragnarok. It's it's a good it's a it's a good problem to have. But I go to Horizon is my suggestion. I wonder, Dustin, what you think here. I feel like probably Horizon is the best place to start due to it being the next title that's going to come out. But as far as the order of the rest of these, my suggestion is to make sure you break up the open world games. You don't want to get fatigue direct. Like if you went from uh, Horizon directly into Ghost you might start to feel a little weighed down by the open world nature. So totally. maybe Horizon, then God of War, then Bloodborne or Ghost of Tsushima, depending how much you want to break it up. God of War and Bloodborne are going to be the shortest two games most likely in this list. Depending on whether or not you like to play multiple games at once, Persona 5 might be a nice passive game where you can play through a dungeon or two, put it down for a little bit come back but not everyone operates that way so that would have to be up to you but i would just say overall break up the open world games yeah that's good advice really good advice thank you for writing in hi i think i'm real kyle clayton wrote in chris he has something to say to you he <laughs> says hey gents colin 
I've been a fan of yours and I've been listening since the beyond days. Thank you. For years, I have sat in silence, just listening, pondering when I would finally write in. That day has come. The straw that broke the camel's back was Chris's blatant disregard for any skill being required to make mashed potatoes. Knowing you are someone with Italian heritage, how did you how did this make you feel inside as you guys are arguably the kings of cooking starches from potatoes to pasta? I am a chef by trade and this comment completely floored me. You must explore <laughs> your potato horizon, silly Christopher. Otherwise, stand down. Stand, now, stand down. Silly Chris. Now, I have to say. It's interesting because the th- the Thanksgiving conversation last week set people off so much that it's almost impossible to even revisit. Not only because I, it would be so laborious to do so, but maybe for you guys. Well, <laughs> but all that's true. Good, fair, fair enough. But also because Thanksgiving will have already happened by the time this episode goes live for anyone. So it's not like it's really going to be a timely thing to talk about. But I did want to re- at least revisit this one thing because. Chris, I did find your dismissal of potatoes a little perplexing. I, I, but what Kyle is saying here is also it's true that we Italians are, are masters or have mastery of the starch. But I would say that Puerto Ricans and Hispanic people do, too. I mean, the potato, the starch comes from South America. Yeah, you know? mm-hmm. like that's where it derives from. So it's I don't know. What do you think? Do you, do you want to revisit this or are you uh, are you standing by your your I don't know, dismissive attitude about the the wonderful starchiness of the potato? I'll stand by it. No, I think here's enough. the thing. It's like I would never go to like a restaurant and order mashed potatoes. You know what I mean? Like that's that's, that's kind of the thing where it's like I, I can do this on my own and I can make like decent enough mashed potatoes on my own. I don't find it that impressive as somebody who makes like a really like like a perfect steak or like who like it's like a a perfect like even even a really good like moist golden brown turkey that's like really really rare in my experience like that to me is far more impressive than you mashed a bunch of potatoes and yeah there's like ingredients and yeah there's like a people have their own like formulas on how to like get a lot of taste and get the right texture out of it but like i think it is a texture thing for me where no matter how good mashed potatoes are i can't get it out of my head that i'm i'm just looking at a pile of just like I almost feel like an elderly man like like you you just chewed my food for me and now you got this steaming pile of pre-chewed potatoes in front of me and I'm like I, I don't know like I can't something about it it's the same thing with like many I don't know like like like, like things like applesauce or like things like mm. like e- even certain like soups where I'm like I get it you know I get it it's 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 good but I'll, I'll eat this stuff when I when my teeth are gone, you know, or, or like when I have no other option. But like I'm never going to choose mashed potatoes over like duck or like chicken parm or like Italian wedding but soup. Why, but why would you wouldn't you want mashed potatoes with your duck? I don't think they're necessarily all that complimentary in comparison to like other things I could get with them. I can get like a nice I can get like a nice uh, like a uh, bouquet of like vegetables. I can get like. Maybe uh, my my side, right? Because it's uh, I'm a Hispanic person. Our sides, rice and beans. Yeah, that's oh, like yeah. that's like the mm-hmm. that is the quintessential side. And I've never, and maybe it's again, again, maybe it's the way that my family does it. But my family can make rice and beans that taste like astoundingly good, and just mashed potatoes. In addition to just like again, my feeling about the texture of it, like I don't know, it's it's just never my preferred. Mm. food at, at any thanksgiving or any big meal i'll be like you know what you guys can have it 
more for the rest of you. You should be thanking me since you love yeah. mashed potatoes so goddamn much. Not everyone, not everyone needs to to eat yeah. the same and enjoy the same things, but wanted to at least get a little ode to last week's divisive conversation into there. Dustin, do you have anything to add before we we leave that in the dust for now? Uh, I would just say I'm with Chris that I wouldn't want to order mashed potatoes in a restaurant because I've had too many bad experiences where they're like slightly crispy on the edges or so- sometimes sure. they just don't they don't go right. That's a homemade thing. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll throw Chris a little bit of support. Also in that applesauce is decidedly a food for babies. Like period. If you're an adult right, and, and you're eating applesauce, grow up. Grow up. <laughs> eat or eat some real food. It's for that food is not for you. It's for babies. So, applesauce army, stand down. Stand down right. on the applesauce. We don't need it. Yeah, applesauce is. I like applesauce a lot, actually, but mm. I just never eat it. You know, like it's just. I don't know. I just. What, what, what is the purpose man. of me eating it? Yeah, it's, you, you know, maybe one day when I have no teeth and I need to just gum my food. It's well, it's, it's as Chris said, but. I don't know. I feel like I don't order potatoes when I go out either, except for at like steakhouses or nice restaurants. Oh, because I feel like nothing accompanies a steak better than mashed potatoes. Like you could dip dip it in with a little bit of the jus or the little bit of the gravy. All right. So I'm, I don't want to talk about this anymore. It's making me hungry. Yeah. All right. Let's see. What else do people have to say? Oh, let's check in with Kurt Lewin. He wrote in and said, I wrote in last week asking for advice on how to make the first move in for a kiss with my potential girlfriend. Well, in the end, I did make the move and I took your advice by literally asking her like a seventh grader, but she was absolutely fine with it. And she told me she was so glad I made the move and didn't delay it any further. We hugged at her car and nothing happened. So just as she was about to get in, I stopped her by saying, I would really like to kiss you. Would that be okay with you? Quote, unquote. So thanks for all of your advice. If we ever get married, I will invite you all out of courtesy to Uncle Colin, Chris (laughs) and Dustin. But don't worry, I won't expect you to come. I mean, you have to do better than that. I mean, we're doing you a favor by going to your wedding. You need to do me a favor uh, by naming the child the firstborn after me. Yeah. And that will be. And declare so you name, your, you name your, for, your firstborn after all of us. Yeah. Let's see. <laughs> let, me, let me write our names down yeah, here. Yeah, just put a hyphen. <laughs> like Dustin, Chris. Regardless of gender, by the way. Uh, like, yeah, like, yeah, definitely. That, that poor girl. <laughs> Colin, Chris, Dustin. Could, we, could it be drilling? <laughs> Oh, <laughs> that's Dustin Crit Drillin. <laughs> it's just it sounds, like, it sounds like a Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, like that's, yeah, that's, that's Krillin, but not Drillin. I like that though. <laughs> someone, dude, someone needs to Photoshop. Use one of those, like the AI thing, to combine all three of our faces into one image, and then yeah. I would say Drillin. Drillin, yeah, because. Yeah. Please make that and tweet it at us. <laughs> I want be, to see the monstrosity. And that'll, that'll be the face in every thumbnail instead of all three of us. <laughs> yeah, it's D, D-R-I-L-I-N I want it to be. So it's it's like the D from Dustin and then the R from Chris. Yeah, yeah. And the Lynn <laughs> from Colin. Trillin. Destroy this creature. <laughs> Congratulations, Kirk. Glad that that all happened for you. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. All right. I wanted to. So we've been talking about Activision and all of the stuff going on with them, with the state of California, with the federal government. Now with the Wall Street Journal expose, I noted earlier that I did a sit down conversation with a lawyer all about it, which I think is the best place for you to listen to a conversation about something so serious. 
we made that free, by the way. So that's for everyone on YouTube now. It was only for patrons for a little while. I say that because Axios is reporting, the website Axios, political uh, website, is reporting on a lawsuit that you should pay attention to coming against PlayStation. Now, this is interesting because Hogue had said in our conversation that the companies should be loath to get involved in this because it is going to open themselves up to similar similar predicaments, let's say, internally that's going to make them look stupid. And yet we've seen some forceful coming out from the different companies, even Nintendo, which doesn't have a huge relationship with Activision, but is saying stuff. Uh, But this suit, according to uh, Axios, says, quote, a former IT security analyst at Sony PlayStation filed a lawsuit against the company in California on Monday, alleging gender discrimination and wrongful termination after speaking up about discrimination against females at the gaming giant. So it is worth noting that what what is being alleged here by someone who seems to have worked at the San Mateo HQ in Northern California, place I've been many a time, she seems to have not experienced sexual harassment, thankfully, per se, but or and certainly not abuse, she doesn't allege, but rather that she wasn't promoted because she was a woman internally. And I actually read a little bit of the lawsuit. It's interesting because one of the um, attachments, one of the appendices of the lawsuit. So when you file a lawsuit, you can attach like appendix, an appendix or multiple appendices that you can cite. And and then so people can see it as they're going through. And uh, they cite all of this stuff from this uh, organization that looks into women in the workplace in entertainment and showing that Sony has like a real issue with representation. So it seems like this is a different kind of lawsuit. I don't think we have much to say about it right now. Chris, I, I want to throw it. Do you have anything you want to add about this particular story? Uh, no, honestly, like I, I haven't really like looked into this as much as I probably should have, you know, like I, I don't want to speak out of turn about something I'm not really like fully read up on, but uh, oh, I totally understand that. Yeah, but this I, just I, happened, by the way, so you guys can go read about it. Yeah. It happened the day before we uh, are recording here. Yeah, I, I understand that. Dustin, anything you want to add? I'm curious about this. I imagine that something like this, just from hearing the different discussions we've had with Rick Hogue, that something like this will be hard to prove, but doesn't mean that it didn't happen, just since it has to do with uh, getting promotions and mm-hmm. and people that, you know, a, a different type of discriminations. It's not quite as potentially i guess cut and dry where if you have someone hiding someone getting raped or something like in the bobby Kodak situation but who knows uh it's something to keep an eye out for and i'd be curious maybe um i wonder if has has hogue done a video on this yeah i don't think I'm so sure Hogue will dude, dude hogue has been on stretched fire. thin i'll say yeah, yeah he's been on, he's been on fire totally he was on a a stream with 130,000 I saw that. concurrent viewers. Oh, whoa, during, really? That's crazy. Yeah, during uh, the Rittenhouse trial, he was on like every day with these, you know, he, he got a lot of a lot of work from that, a lot of notoriety, a lot of, not notoriety is a bad word, whatever. It's just like using the word infamous. Um, but nonetheless, <laughs> he's doing great work and uh, we're proud of him there. It's worth noting, and I think we'll hear more about this, is that this is a proposal for a class action suit. So what we're going to find out is if there are other women that feel like they were this particular woman feels like she was or claims that she was fired for speaking out. Sony says that they just truncated her section of the company. She claims she's not even in that part of the company. So someone's lying. 
we'll see what we'll see what happens here. And if the class action goes through, then there's going to be a period of discovery and we're going to figure out a lot of interesting or not, maybe not very interesting things about Sony. But I will say not to people will look at this as a stand situation. I don't mean to be that way at all. Obviously, I think people know that I'm not that way about PlayStation, but I do want to reiterate in fairness that I've heard a lot of things about working at a lot of places in the industry, and I've not heard very much bad about working at Sony. Like, to be fair, we make fun of them. I make fun of their PR people. I'm not really fond of a lot of people that work there, but they seem to do right by their people. So we'll see mm-hmm. what happens. Yeah. Something to keep an eye out on. What else here? Let me go back to my doc. Oh, I wanted to uh, read a letter from Greg Hommel, who wrote in and said, hello, humble keepers of the sacred symbols. I just finished Guardians of the Galaxy. And what a great surprise. It got me thinking about dialogue. There are some cool contextual conversations and quips that take place based on what you were doing. Thinking back to the Horizon Forbidden West gameplay presentation and the complex dialogue from Aloy. Do you guys think this kind of context sensitive dialogue will be an unexpected feature that helps define this generation? Is that something that helps to immerse you guys during a game? Thanks for all you do. I read this because they just put up a new blog post on PlayStation blog, blog blog.playstation.com. If you've never been the official PlayStation blog about Horizon Forbidden West, and it's all about how they're trying to make the world more believable with little things. Now, I'm not reading it. I'm not watching anything else about it, but the article exists. And Greg, I thought I'd point you in that direction because it seems to be very much what you're talking about. But uh, Chris, do you think that um, he asks here, Greg asks, do you think that context sensitive dialogue will be an unexpected feature that helps define this generation? I think we kind of saw, you know what, you know, in my opinion, Chris, and I know we all love this game, so we can really share, uh, I think, this bond over it is the game that had the most contextual conversations that I've ever seen was Red Dead Redemption 2. And yeah, that game, I think, really shown because of the attention to those details. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I think uh, I, I, I wouldn't have even brought that up because it's been so long since I played Red Dead Redemption 2. But yeah, that was like a really standout thing about that game was just how how well that game was able to hide a lot of the mundanity of like kind of like traveling and like and just kind of like, oh, you're sitting in a carriage, which is like authentic to the setting and authentic to the time period, but not all that interesting from a gameplay perspective. How do you make that fun or how do you make that engaging? And yeah, you just have really interesting characters talking about very, you know, relevant and interesting things while you're making your way to this place that's very, very far away. I don't know if it'll define this generation because, again, I don't know if that's really something that is unique to this generation, as we just literally <laughs> gave an example of. Like, Red Dead Redemption 2 is a PS4, Xbox One title. It's, it's, I don't think it's going to be a defining feature of this generation. I do think, it's, I do think though, it's going to be a bit of a... Um, a bit of a point of detail that will be appreciated by a lot of by a lot of players on the behalf of like, you know, I think a lot of really talented studios would do well to kind of focus on this kind of thing, because I do think people, I do think people appreciate and notice this kind of thing when it's done well. And when um, there is effort put into something that could have easily gone silent, you know, you don't need these contextual conversations. I think Spider-Man did it very, very well as well. You know, I just don't think it's like a feature of this generation. If anything, it's just a, a marker of that's a good studio, you know? Yeah. And if anything, that can just be expanded and, and brought around to be more uh, immersive, I guess. Dustin, do you agree? Yeah, I agree. The only thing I would just say is you have to just be careful with these context sensitive dialogue that it's not 
too much. I'm specifically thinking of maybe more so context sensitive voiceover, like in Biomutant, people were complaining about the voiceover oh, being right. like way yeah, overbearing much. in that game. Yeah. So it's just important to make sure to balance it out. Uh, I'm glad that Red Dead was brought up because I think that's one of the definitely the best examples. But overall, I, I agree with everything Chris said. Okay, let's see here. I'm looking at my document. So many things on the document this week. Yeah. Oh, I wanted to. I keep saying, oh, like I'm so surprised by what's Ew. next, but I guess I am because I keep forgetting that I put things in here. Chrono Cross. We have to talk about this. So if people don't know what Chrono Cross is, it's a PS1 game came out in 2000 in the West. It was a late PS1 RPG from at the time we knew them as Squaresoft. And this was not really a sequel to Chrono Trigger, which was a very well regarded late release SNES mid 90s role playing game, as you guys know. But it was in the same universe and it kind of like, you know, obviously continued it in some way. It's actually more attached to a game called Radical Dreamers, which people can go look into. It's a that was a Satellaview, like Super Famicom exclusive adventure game. Very weird stuff. Anyway, this game has kind of been a cult favorite for a long time. And you might recall, I have to take you guys on a little story or a little uh, path here because you, I think it was back in September that we had the NVIDIA GeForce Now leak. Now, people might recall that there have been and it's comical. Like NVIDIA was like, oh, this, these are just placeholders and none of the publishers and developers have said anything, but these are all obviously real games. So this is <laughs> arguably, and I'd like to do something about it at one point, focus in on it more. This might be the biggest leak in gaming history when it all is said and done. Yeah. We have to just give it a little time. And there's actually a Reddit uh, gaming leaks and rumors that has confirmed, it has already 10 confirmed games on, on the list since September that have been confirmed since then. Some of them have come out. So God of War for Steam. Unannounced Dungeon Tactics game by Square Enix, Outcast 2 by Appeal Studios, ActRaiser Remake by Square Enix, Ruin King, uh, which is the recent League of Legends game, RPG, Saints Row, Unannounced Card Game 2 by Square Enix, which just came out, I forget what it's called, Destroy All Humans 2 Remake, Brothers in Arms by Gearbox, and then, of course, most famously, the GTA Remastered trilogy, which was in this leak as well. There was, amongst many, 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 many other games, was a Chrono Cross remaster. Now... That brings us to a report from IGN that cites an Xbox podcast called Xbox Era. And on that podcast, they say that there will be a multi-platform Chrono Cross remaster announced soon, possibly maybe at the VGAs, I think, which would be not a surprise. Not a surprise. Some people think this will be a PlayStation exclusive. Some people think it won't be. Of course, Chrono Cross was a PlayStation game, but that, that's really neither here nor there. We just saw, for instance, Square Enix release the world ends with you on PlayStation 4, even though that is a DS game. So these things happen. Now, there's one thing I want to say, and this is not an insult to Xbox era. Xbox era is not a big is not a big podcast by any stretch of the imagination. People say things on podcasts all the time. Mm -hmm. The reason I think this is interesting to bring up is because I feel like it is being laundered by big websites who know and need corroborative evidence that this game is coming and this person is, is providing it, which is fine. That's the way that's the way it works. But I, in other words, I think that some people have learned about what's going on here and um, they're comfortable reporting it based on like what they had needed was someone to talk about it on background. I know I'm trying to get people to talk on background to me all the time. So I want to say that I think this Chrono Cross remaster is coming now. Dustin, are you excited about this as, as our resident weeb? This, of course, this game reminds me is a very nostalgic game for me. It reminds me of high school, reminds me specifically of a good buddy of mine, Corey, who I used to really bond over Japanese role playing games with at that time. 
Do you want to play this? I'm interested. I've never played the original Chrono Cross, so I don't know much about it other than, to my understanding, the battle system in this game is kind of weird. But it's an interesting choice to me if they're doing a full-blown remake, since I'm guessing a remaster would be pretty extensive to remaster a PS1 game like that. I wonder why they didn't choose Chrono Trigger instead. That seems like a much more obvious and marketable decision is to do Chrono Trigger since that's a much more fondly remembered game. Not that Chrono Cross isn't... Uh, there's there's plenty of fans for that game, but it's nowhere near Chrono Trigger. So No, Chrono Trigger is a wide... Is, now I don't agree, but it's widely considered one of the, the best, if not the best Japanese role-playing game ever. So Right. I, I feel like that would just be way more exciting to do to do Chrono Trigger. But. Well, I think it has to happen. Like, I, here's my theory about this, because I've been seeing people note that it's conspicuous. Its absence was conspicuous specifically on the SNES classic and where Final Fantasy three slash six was on it, which is a wonderful game. I think a much better game than Chrono Trigger, but not as well considered and not as attached to that console as a game like Chrono Trigger was. And people looked at that and said, well, Square Enix was willing to deal with them, but they didn't give them the game we really wanted, indicating that maybe they have plans for it. People will mm. recall that Chrono Trigger came to Nintendo DS. That was probably the best port of it that was available. There was a really shitty PS1 port that came out alongside people will recall P, uh, Final Fantasy IV. They were put together. And I think I mentioned it on a recent podcast that it was horrible. It was like a horrible port of the game. I think Chrono Trigger is I mm, let me put it a different way because this maybe not is not totally true with a company like Square Enix. I think they might realize that they can't fuck with Chrono Trigger. Mm. And maybe that entry isn't there because there's no reason to talk about it because they're literally just going to release it as it is, as opposed to a game like Chrono Cross that really does need to be remastered to bring out. Chrono Trigger is beautiful by itself. It doesn't need any work at all done to it. And when they tried to bring it to a disc based system in the late 90s, they fucked it up. So right there might. So I agree with you. It would be weird to release Chrono Cross without Chrono Trigger, but I kind of feel like they are going to release them both. And again, no disrespect to Xbox era. It's a, 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 what I understand as a, a wonderful podcast, but I feel like it's small. People say things all the time. These people that are writing about it know that this is coming. And I, I wonder if if we'll see it at maybe the VGAs. Now, yeah. I wanted to say something else, boys. I, I meant to I meant to bring this up. Mm -hmm. I have on what I would consider good authority, good details on the next Bioshock game. And I want to share them with the audience, but I don't know. I'm working on getting information on background just to verify what I've heard um, and I'm talking to people um, so on a similar topic if you know anything about the next Bioshock game you can reach out to me on uh, Patreon if you'd like I speak to people off the record and on background all the time you're safe talking to me we'd love to know more because I, I think I know a lot about it and I just want to make sure that we verify that so very similar to what is happening with this situation I have no corroborative evidence and when I talk about it you'll imagine that I do so keep an eye out for that. Okay. Guys, I wanted to let you know, Bobby Kotick has let everyone know that he will be willing to leave Activision if he can't fix the problem over there. It's reported by Wall Street Journal. Chris, did you see that there was someone... I got to make sure that I have this right. Did you guys see this <laughs> thing about the phone number? What do you mean? The, the okay. phone number. Yeah, all right. So... <laughs> A California, this is what it says in Kotaku, a California lawsuit earlier this year alleged, alleged sexual harassment, blah, 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 blah. 
At least in one instance, that culture included an employee signing all of his work emails as 1-800-ALL-COCK. I saw Did you guys that. see this story? Yeah. No. And apparently this happened for years until they fired this person. <laughs> that he would literally for years just sign his emails to everyone as 1-800-ALL-COCK. So you can go read that story. But apparently, do, do we have anything else to say about this, Chris? I don't know, man. I, I don't have anything to say about the, the phone number, but like, I do think it's weird. Like, it's just such a weird headline because it's like, yeah, you know, I'll leave if I can't fix the problem. But like, it seems like the problem is you. <laughs> right? Like, I mean, like he admitted, like, it's not even like, again, this is not rumors like he's he's come out and said like oh yeah i deeply regret when i threatened to kill that woman <laughs> like he's like it's not just random shit like he's actually like and i think even the email i think there was like somebody at uh activision who like wrote an email who like apologized about everything and then like bobby kodak apologized for that email he's like oh you know that was very tone deaf like that was a very tone deaf email and then, like, he wrote it. So he just threw some woman under the bus. And it's just like, I don't know. Like, this is not something that, like, you can't fix this unless you leave kind of situation. So it's like, it's a very weird. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know if he's, like, buying time or whatever. But this is, like, a really bad time to be Activision. I don't think I've ever seen a worse. I mean, Activision has been through all sorts of things. And, like, and, and I... I have my own qualms about like the way they've handled some of their studios, the way they folded the Crash Bandicoot team into Call of Duty, the way they, the way they just kind of absorb all of these um, studios into subservient roles at at their bigger monolith, monolith uh, production houses. I just feel like this is like the craziest story I think I've ever seen befall Activision. The the fact that there is a genuine call that he made that was like, "I'll kill you." <laughs> Like that's crazy. It's not funny. It, 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 I mean, it, it's it funny. funny. It's funny. It's definitely it's, funny that Bobby Kodak threatened to kill someone. I mean, that's it, yeah. that's funny in the ha ha funny kind of way. It, it's yeah. it's funny in just like a th that it's real at all is astounding, and it's it's kind of unbelievable. Can you imagine if like? <laughs> Can you imagine Reggie Fils-Aimé, you know, like in a very similar, you know what I mean? Like, it's a very, yeah. like, insane thing to see. So, yeah, I, agree. I don't know. It's it's a very weird situation over there. Hopefully they can get it together. But I, I don't see a situation. I don't see the situation unfolding in a way where Kodak stays. I think he just kind of has to. I think he's got to do something. He's got to. You're 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 so rich. You're so rich. You're fine. Don't drag your company down with you just because you want to stay there. You know, like I, I just I think it's like really irresponsible what he's doing, even like for the people he's working with. You know, like if I was working alongside, him, I'd be like, dude, what are you doing? Yeah, I mean, it's he it shows how much power he has. And oh, for sure. Yeah. Hogue had said, Dustin, that. It could be that the only way they get him out is if the companies that they work with are literally like he has to go. Because right. the board is so loyal to him and he is so powerful within Activision. He's been the CEO of Activision for 30 years. Yeah. No one stays the CEO of a company for 30 years. Yeah. That's an exhausting thing, first of all. Second of all, Kodak seems to be maybe a tyrant. You know, like we don't really we don't really know. Yeah. All we know is that someone's signing their emails 1-800-ALL-COCK.
So I guess that's what I want to ask you, Dustin. Are you going to start signing your emails? 1-800-ALL-COCK. That was actually the main comment I wanted to make is that signing your emails 1-800-ALL-COCK is hilarious amongst friends. No doubt. In a corporate setting, maybe not so good. I mean... Can you imagine how how detached from reality you have to be to think you can do something like that? Yeah. But I guess he was detached enough from reality to say, like, I got away with it for so long. Why wouldn't I keep doing it? So yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll text a friend. I'll be like, yo, what's up? dick meat or or mm. something like that or whatever i mean i made a joke to maddie since he's previewing halo i said i heard that the part where master chief whips out his dick is crazy right like we can <laughs> that's different yeah, but yeah. if you're if you're signing like if i like we do i'm thinking on a, for our level we email our ad people imagine if i signed an email 1-800 all cock like right you just don't do that don't do it it also, is hilarious but don't look, do it look also listen what are you doing signing your goddamn emails like i i've always had a problem with this especially like in text messages this used to be like a text thing where you could sign your text messages mm. like, it's I like oh, this is my little signature on my text message i know it's you i have your number like i'm not a, a goddamn idiot like, I know who I'm talking to. I hate this little, like, ooh, by the way. And, and Because it's always like I'm reading the email, and then I think I have to read more because there's more, and then it's just this signature that's like, ah, it was, a waste of, it was like a waste of a, a whole second and a half of my time, which I value very greatly. Yeah, no, you are, you are a man who values his time. And I feel like, in my opinion, boys, the, the signature, because I just sign all my emails dash Colin. Right. Right? That's how I sign my emails. Now, even some people have a problem with that, but... I'll say my dad he still texts me to this day. Love dad at the end of his text. Mm. Like because he doesn't use it to go back and forth. He just doesn't. He, I, I could try to engage my dad in a conversation. He's not going to do it. So it's usually like, hey, dad, you know, I, and then he's like, oh, I got your call. How are things going? Well, love dad. Like, I, I appreciate it, but you don't have to do it. Don't sign. So, Dustin, please start signing all of your emails with 1-800-ALL-COCK in the future um, so we can Will sue do. you. Fantastic. All right. Let's see what else is going on here. Oh, I so I don't we don't have to talk about this. None of us know anything about this, but um, I did want to note Cricket 22 on PS4 and PS5 has been delayed and there's drama around it. So Cricket, of course, is a is a game. I still don't really understand it, but it's big in places like Australia. It's big in India and places in the UK and other places. And so there's an annualized game, much like there is for football and baseball and everything else. There's an annualized game for cricket that is well regarded by a studio called Big Ant. They put out a game every year and they released this kind of vague statement on Twitter. And the statement says, um, hello, cricket fans. We know you're excited to get your hands on cricket 2022 or cricket 22. Unfortunately, factors beyond our control have meant that we need to update the game's cover art, other visuals and team lists. This was a critical day one patch that players will need to enjoy the full Cricket 22 experience that is consequently needed to be revoked. The new patch won't be ready for release until December 2nd. Um, so they've delayed the game by just a week, both physically and digitally. They're literally printing out new covers for the game and everything. Now, if you're not a Cricket fan, you know, won't know why. And I had to go read into this. So Eurogamer, we can always rely on them for something like this, ha- says in their story, quote, in part, Began Studio statement does not mention Australia test captain Tim Payne. So Australia test is a Cricket team but he, they say quote but there is no doubt that the delay has to do with an ongoing sexting scandal around the cricketer on friday Payne stepped down as australia test captain before the ashes which is a tournament i think over a historical investigation into sexually explicit texts to a female colleague Payne admitted he had sent messages to a co-worker at cricket tasmania in 2017 that led to a misconduct investigation after she made allegations against him in 2018 he said he was exonerated but announced he was stepping down as he had learned his texts were set to be revealed publicly end quote 
So even more impropriety affecting video games, but outside, obviously, of the normal realm. So if you're looking forward to Cricket 2022, which I know some of you are, it'll be delayed a week because someone was a pervert. I I, I could have gone the rest of my life without hearing the word cricketer, and I'm so sad that my spree of not hearing that word has ended so yeah. unceremoniously. Yeah. It's such a Sorry. disappointing Cricketing. word. Cricketing. The-, <laughs> the, the most. So I am. A, I'm a, I love sports and I'll sit and watch anything like I, I'm really interested in weird. And I don't think cricket's really a weird sport, but I've watched cricket before. And I'm a man, I think, who understands sport and picks things up and kind of watches and under. And I've watched cricket. And I'm like, I have no idea what the fuck's going on. I have no idea how this works. And I've never really been that interested in enough to look into it further. Yeah. My my closest uh, examination of cricket came. Of course, I'm a Downton Abbey super fan. And there is a cricket episode. Oh, my Lord. Of Downton Abbey. Mm. And that was my that was my exposure. It's just a game. very perplexing endeavor because like the name of this game, by the way. It's not just cricket 22. It's cricket 22. The official game of the ashes. Yeah, I think that's what I was saying is I think the Ashes is a tournament. Yeah, it's a it's a cricket series played between England and Australia. It sounds like a Dark Souls boss, though. (laughs) And it says the reason it's called the Ashes, the term originated in a satirical obituary, according to Wikipedia, published in a British newspaper immediately after Australia's victory in 1982. It's because the, the urn looks like that they win. It looks like an urn. So they call it the ashes. That's, That's kind of so cool. that is cool. But it also, I don't know, it just sounds like, oh, man, I couldn't get past Cricket of the Ashes. Like on that one stage. Cricket but. of the Ashes sounds like the subtitle of like the Biomutant sequel. Yeah. Biomutant Cricket of the Ashes. Whoa. Whoa. I want to play that. I do, too. I I'm won't. a fan of crickets. Do you like crickets? Do I like crickets? Is that what you just yeah, said? You me? like them? Yeah, that's what I said. Dude. I mean, I guess they're like, you know, they're. They're not mosquitoes, so I guess I like them by default, you know, like mosquitoes are really the only insect where I'm like, you got to go, you know, you really got to wasps as well. But at least wasps have the courtesy to like put up a fight, you know, yeah, like they'll like they'll come after you and you're like, all right, now I have now I don't feel so bad, you know, destroying you in combat and fisticuffs, if you will. But like a mosquito is just an asshole. Just say it's a mugger. Basically, it stabs you, steals your blood and leaves a piece of shit. Yeah, they suck. Do you know that there is this idea that we can kill? Well, first of all, it's not an idea. We know we can eradicate mosquitoes. But we choose not to. But we choose not to do it. Disgusting. And it's uh, it's like this true. It might be the most serious bioethical question in existence outside of like what's going on with AI and stuff. No, it's as not. far as like we know we can do it. It would save a shit ton. What did you wait? What did you say? I, <laughs> I it. said it's not an ethical question at all. You know. Oh. I, I oh, would fair enough. It. I would do it real well, quick. The, the, the question is just that, like, uh, apparently there are only a few mosquitoes that are like a problem and they know how to target those species, like basically reverse engineer something so that they start putting in these fucked up mosquitoes in their populations that basically make them all sterile. Yeah. And we know we can do it, but then we don't know if we have if we have like an ethical question against like eradicating a species and also what it will do to the biome since they're at the very bottom of the chain. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's but worth people's, it. I think well, I, a lot of people say it is worth it, even if there is some destruction simply by virtue of the disease that is spread by mosquitoes. Like they're like, so what? Like some animals might die, but it's it's the question of like human they're, population. Yeah, they're, they're just miserable creatures. You, you know, they're actually like smaller mosquitoes that actually like drain the blood out of like full mosquitoes. You know that? No, I That's, didn't know that. That is so 
Wonderful. I love that. That that makes me real happy to know that that they have to suffer themselves. Mm. Like, good, you fucking... (laughs) You deserve it. Anyway. It's got dark. It's got dark. (laughs) Sean Kelby Jr. wrote into us and said, hey, guys. Man, Spider-Man for Avengers looks really disappointing, especially finding out there's no story missions coming with him. How long do you think this game will last? I give it till 2023 until they move on from this game. So, uh, Dustin, let me go with you first on this. I saw an IGN story because I think they're the ones that actually broke it where they went hands on with this Spider-Man DLC for uh, Crystal Dynamics Avengers game. And it says, quote, rather than a short campaign with bespoke missions, Avengers Spider-Man with great powers, story is told through audio logs and illustrated cutscenes that are unlocked by completing challenges that have been added to the regular Avengers initiatives multiplayer missions. End quote. People are pretty upset about this. I just don't know why they made such a big deal out of the Spider-Man thing. I was looking at the gameplay and I'm like, this looks like shit. Yeah, you have. If I were Sony, I would have been like, we should just shut this down because we have Spider-Man. We have our Spider-Man that's like looks right. We don't need the Spider-Man that looks wrong. I, I don't know. What do you think about this? Yeah, well, I feel like it wouldn't be so it would still be bad, but it wouldn't be as glaringly bad if we didn't have an amazing two Spider-Man games from Insomniac. Uh, My favorite thing is when the gameplay came out, there was a very popular viral tweet that said, why does Spider-Man look like he's at like a white woman's Roomba class or something? Because the way he shoots out the webs is just is not not so good. It it looks like they made a game about a Times Square (laughs) Spider-Man is is like how I felt when I was watching that that footage. It's, It's the most awkward like his head is moving back and forth for no reason and it just like it looks like a dinky idiot like just like harassing people with silly string it's like the least compelling um version of the character i think i've ever ever seen and and, and to be fair like there was really no way that you were going to get something that was as free as like an insomniac spider-man game in a game that has in a, in a in a game that's built around the framework of like how the avengers plays like you can't just have one character that like all of a sudden like can move super fast and and like has free roam abilities like you were never going to get that smooth perfect spider-man but even so man like there's some choices there that i just i i can't understand how nobody was like maybe maybe redo the animation on on this like this looks real Real not good. And I do think a, a big reason why this is as lackluster as it is, is because this is a console exclusive thing. So I feel like on their side, they're probably like, well, it's just like one, like half, like the majority of players presumably probably aren't even going to play this content or even because like this is a multi-platform game. This is on PC. This is on Xbox. And here's this one character that's exclusive for PlayStation. We're not going to put a single player campaign in for this character. It's just going to be experienced by like a third of the population. You know, like why would, why would we do that? Which I don't even think is like the necessarily the right way to go. I'm not saying this like a, a justifiable thought process, but there's no doubt like that's part of it because we had a Hawkeye expansion or something for the Avengers and Hawkeye sucks. We got a TV show about Hawkeye now. I oh, think it's God. out today. Yeah, Jesus Christ. He's the guy with the bow and arrow, right? Like, that's that's him. He is. He's yeah, the guy with the bow and arrow. Yeah, I remember playing as him in like some arcade game back in the day. I don't know what it was. Was it X Men? No, that can't be. That can't be right. Okay, I wanted to just say this about this deal before we move on. 
because people have really beaten the shit out of this game. I think everyone gets it. <laughs> this is a good example of why you just don't make deals ahead of time for marketing and content when you really don't know what the game is. Because Sony didn't need this. No one cares about this. And this is like some sort of contractual obligation. It is a little questionable why they were let off the hook for it. I think the thing is, is that people were just promised this before the game even came out, as I recall. And so they bought it under the auspices of getting this content. And it's probably as simple as having to deliver it. And that sucks because it puts them. They put them. I don't want to say it puts them. It, they put themselves in this box wherein they have to deliver this content for a dead product or a dying product that contrasts badly with your mainline Spider-Man series that is widely considered to be one of the great games going right now, one of the great series. And it just doesn't make any sense. It's why games move so glacially and it's so strange. I don't know. I don't understand why, <laughs> why they're so, so eager to market like this, but we'll move on from that. Yeah. Want to talk about this next story though. People have, th people think that they have found evidence of Grand Theft Auto 6 and people are pretty convinced that its existence is in the GTA Trilogy Definitive Edition. Now, I have a story up from Dexerto.com, or Dexerto, I still don't really know how to say it. And they say in part, quote, GTA Trilogy, the Definitive Edition, has been a buggy, incomplete mess since launch, leading to a Rockstar Games offering an apology for releasing it in such a state. Despite the collection being panned by fans and critics alike, that hasn't stopped users from exploring every nook and cranny of Liberty City, Vice City, and San Andreas for new Easter eggs, and one took the internet by storm. A picture of a mysterious house with a UFO flying overhead has many believing it's the first ever screenshot of GTA 6. So in San Andreas, in the in the version of San Andreas on PS4 and PS5, if you go to Lil Probe Inn in San Andreas, there'll be a bunch of photos on the wall in one of the rooms. And, the, and some of the photos are from Grand Theft Auto 5 for sure. And people have, have lined them all up and there's like a UFO in each one of them. It's like kind of the theme of the photos, I guess. And then there's just one photo of a house that no one knew what it was. And it looks like one of like a first uh, single story Florida house with palm trees in front of it. Very similar to what you would see down there. And people have gone far enough to find what they think is the exact facsimile of this house on Google Maps and that it's in Miami and that it is a tease to what people already understand about this new game, which is that Rock Grand Theft Auto 6 likely takes place in Florida. So, uh, Chris, do you think that this is real? Do you think that this is a real screenshot that they put in to tease the game, knowing that these other screenshots were also put in to tease Grand Theft Auto V and that there is only one of them that no one can identify? I don't know. I, I feel like people might just be super desperate for news on Grand Theft Auto because this seems like... I mean, part of me, the reason why I'm so suspicious of this is because so little care went into the Grand Theft Auto trilogy that, like, it, it would shock me that, like, one dude was like, hey, it's your job to tease, you know, you should tease Grand Theft Auto 6 in this game. So, like, go into that, go into that inn over there and put, like, textures of, like, a, a cryptic house, you know, don't fix any of the signage, though. You, you know, like, it, it just seems like a very weird priority fuck up to have like oh yeah we'll tease the next game in like a really vague like cryptic way but we won't actually do any work whatsoever on making sure the the obvious signage that people will be walking through the game and reading actively is spelled correctly you know i, I don't know there's like there's a disconnect there that i i can't justify in my head it very well could be a tease for the next round of thought i just i would be i'm just confused as to who would be the one doing that on the team 
who wouldn't also be in charge of just making sure that signs weren't fucking misspelled to hell. You know, it's a very weird situation. I could believe it, but it's just weird for me. What do you think, Dustin? I don't feel like it's GTA 6, but I haven't read all of the, the evidence because there seems to be an extensive amount of talk about whether or not it is or it isn't. The trilogy wasn't even handled by Rockstar internally. It was handled by what Grove Street Games. Yeah, Grove or, Street Games yeah, in Florida. Right. In, they're, and they're in Florida, by the way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I don't know how, how secretive Rockstar is, but it's to my understanding that they, I mean, we know they're an extremely secretive company because a lot of their stuff doesn't really leak and their stuff is worked on for years and years and years. And so part of me feels like unless someone from Rockstar specifically said, let's put this one little image in that Grocery Games knows nothing about GTA 6. And this this is a boring way to tease GTA 6 if it is. It is insanely boring. It's a house with on the UFO wall or whatever. I don't know. Maybe it's supposed to be cute and fun, but I I have a hard time believing it. Yeah. I'm going to jump forward. Not unprecedented, but rare move to read a news item now just to bring it in to because I think it'll help with my answer. I'm going all the way to number 10 in our news items. Oh, and it says during last week's show, we focused a great deal on the beleaguered Grand Theft Auto, the trilogy definitive edition. And so it's only fair that we supply you with an update, which unfortunately went live right after the last episode was published. The long and short is Rockstar has acknowledged the ridiculous condition the trilogy is in, quote, Firstly, we want to sincerely apologize to everyone who has encountered issues playing these games, end quote. A blog post from the publisher reads, it continues, quote, The Grand Theft Auto series and the games that make up this iconic trilogy are as special to us as we know they are to fans around the world. The updated version of these classic games did not launch in a state that meets our own standards of quality or the standards our fans have come to expect. We have ongoing plans to address the technical issues and to improve each game going forward. With each planned update, the games will reach the level of quality that they deserve to be, end quote. Since then, a major update title for, title update for the game has gone live that begins the enormous job of fixing these botched ports, which many have noted come from the Florida-based studio Grove Street. A small port studio, Grove Street has worked with Rockstar extensively for the last decade, porting GTA 3, Vice City, and San Andreas to iOS and Android in 2011, 2012, and 2013, respectively. Those three games, of course, originally came to PS2 in 2001, 2002, and 2004, respectively. Grove Street also ported Max Payne to mobile in 2012 and GTA Chinatown Wars in 2014 and Bully. In 2016, the reason I wanted to go to this news story right now and just get it out of the way, I guess, is not only because we're talking about Grand Theft Auto more extensively than I had anticipated, but also because I think it answers why Grove Street might have access to this is because they have worked with Rockstar forever. It wouldn't surprise me at all if Grove Street knew about the game because they have been in Rockstar's pocket for a long time. And apparently they're a very small team, like fewer than 10 people. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know if they scaled up for this particular console release, but I guess going through the trouble of up making an update in San Andreas to tease Grand Theft Auto 5 is already doing work that is not necessary. And so all they would then need is one screenshot to tease the new game. My personal take is I do think it is real and we'll see what happens from there. But Grove Street, it's interesting because I was reading about them after these ports. I didn't know very much about them. They do a lot of work. They've worked on a lot of games. They're pretty well regarded. They're in Gainesville, Florida. And so they have there's not many studios down there. So I think they just get a specific kind of talent. And Rockstar likes them. Mm -hmm. So we'll see. 
story another story to keep an eye on but the bigger story here of course is just watching them fix those games yeah all right oh by the way i also wanted to bring up longtime playstation fans will remember that sometimes games are accidentally teased as a joke or something like that too and then not taken out and of course people will famously remember in uncharted 3 that there is a last of us tease that they forgot to take out of the game and that the only reason no one knew anything to even think about it is because they never brought any attention to it uh, until afterwards. And in the bar scene in the first in Uncharted three in the beginning, when you're fighting as Drake, there is a newspaper clearly as clear as day on the bar top. And it says like scientists are still trying to determine the cause of a fungus or something like that. Yeah. And it's it's teasing the last of us. So it could be one of those things that slipped by, too. And now you can't edit it out because then people are going to be suspicious. So we'll see what happens. All right. We talked a little bit last week or two weeks ago about this patent issue that Sony was experiencing. Um, the website OP Attack has reported that Sony has finally patented the covers and skins for their PS5 console. You recall that they were basically threatening to sue a company that was doing this on their own. So expect to have Sony official covers and skins coming soon. This, of course, doesn't inoculate them from dbrand doing what they want because um when you get to an item first, you can't be subsequently removed from the patent or removed from the trademark. It simply means others can't utilize it. So dbrand is like permanently ensconced as long as they want to uh, keep making these things, which is funny, man. And that was a major legal oversight. Yeah. On Sony's part. I also wanted to ask you, Chris, and I'll throw this one over to you first. It seems like according to Video Games Chronicle, Gotham Knights is not the only game WB Games Montreal is working on. They're working on something else, according to the CV of um, an artist there, a senior artist. Huh. What do you think this game might be? Do you think it's a DC game or do you think it's something else? And what, what would you like it to be? Man, I don't know. I, I, it's, I feel weird about this series because I, I really love Darkham Asylum like a lot. And I, and I liked Arkham City. Arkham Knight was fine. I, th- I think it's a series that actually got like kind of progressively weaker as it, as it went along. I know that's like a controversial. I, I know a lot of people love Arkham City and I like it. But I do feel like Asylum was like this, this really like fantastic exercise in like single player action you know combat and like just like the way that game was designed is like really special in my opinion in comparison to the later entries in the series so like as as this kind of like gotham knights batman kind of game series is, has lingered on i find myself being less and less interested and this is the one that without a doubt i have the least interest in i don't know i i'm definitely more interested in, in rocksteady's suicide squad game Probably in no small part due to James Gunn's really, really solid Suicide Squad movie. I have no doubt that that's probably a reason why it might be a little bit more favorable to me. But I don't know what this other game could be. It seems like I get the the feeling in my gut that this is like, a stretched thin situation and you don't want you don't want people working on multiple projects like this especially when this one this one this particular game feels like it's been in a a really weird development situation well they haven't put out a game since 2013 yeah so i think that's why everyone's confused like they didn't put out a game all of last generation their last game was arkham origins and that's a playstation 3 game yeah so so i don't know I don't know if I want it to be anything like I don't know if I am really all that interested in, in, in what this studio is, is doing. They don't necessarily speak to me 
Uh, I'm not interested in DC. I'm not really interested in all that many Warner Brothers properties either. My one hope is, though, that it's something different, which I don't have a lot of faith in. Based on, you know, their pretty solid commitment to DC titles. What do you think, Dustin? It wouldn't be unprecedented for them to work on something that isn't DC related. Mm. Looking at their Wikipedia, they worked on a Lego game for iPhone and a game called Cartoon Universe, which was a web only game. Those were back in 2013. But everything else has been DC related. I don't know. I wonder they did those ports of Batman Arkham Asylum and Arkham City for PS4, but I don't know if that would stop them from maybe doing a remake of one of those games. That could be possible. I don't really know if it's necessary, but an Arkham yeah. Asylum remake would be kind of cool, I think. Yeah. Cuz I think that's an Unreal 3 game. It would it is interesting. I I I don't know. I'm a, I'm totally of two minds here. I think it's a coin flip. Like w- you could imagine that they're obviously working on a DC game. You could you can interpret it like that. Saying of course they're working on a DC game. Everyone's working on some sort of license with WB right now, whether it's Harry Potter, whether it's Lego, whether it's Batman and all the DC stuff. Like no one's making original content there with the exception of Mortal Kombat. Yeah. You know, and a few other things coming out of that publishing uh unit. But the other side of me is like aren't they desperate to do something else and haven't they been doing and working on something else? I I part of me feels like Maybe because Gotham Knights and I want to double check this. Yeah, it doesn't have a release date yet. It's 2022, but it doesn't have a release date yet. Maybe this other game is soon or sooner or something like that. And you can imagine that maybe they had something going on for a longer period of time, something smaller, something different. So I really do not know. I just I have no idea what what my my inclination is here. I just read something interesting on the Wikipedia that's actually about this. It says during an interview On the Humans of Gaming podcast in 2018, October of 2018, W Games Montreal senior game designer Osama Dorias, that's that guy that's pretty inflammatory on Twitter, right? Uh, Confirmed that two DC comic-based video games are currently in development at the studio. So So, that's seemingly the answer. There you go. Exciting. We'll see what happens. And finally, I just wanted to bring this up. This is just a small piece from gamesindustry.biz, but it says Atari invests in Anstream may buy Moby Games. So this, the long and the short of it is that Atari is kind of doing its, it's kind of getting back in the consoles, the console space. And as part of these various investments they're making, they have some sort of option to exercise by March of next year to spend $1.5 million to buy Moby Games. And the reason I bring that up is because Moby Games, MobyGames.com is a wonderful idea what would be IDBM international internet database uh, movie IMDB, right? IMDB. I never say that out loud. And it's like that for video games. And it's a, a site that I cite all the time. A site that I cite all the time. I look at it every week for the show. It's a really wonderful thing that a lot of hardcore gamers should familiarize themselves with. Cause it's a really cool way to see what everyone's worked on and follow their various lineages and family trees as it were to the various games they worked. So it's cool to see that um, that we might have a buyer here that cares about it. And I just wanted to give them a shout out for that. Yeah. I think it's really cool. All right. Let's get into the games we're playing. And Chris, we'll start with you. Yeah. So obviously still playing Halo Infinite, uh, but I've been streaming it quite a bit. I actually just did a really long Defining Duke Ultimate episode with Cog and Maddie, kind of going over my 
general thoughts, like my overall criticisms, my likes. And if you want a more in-depth conversation, you can go and check that out. It was a good show, I think. But long and short of it, I think it's really solid. I think this is like the most fun I've had in a very, very long time with this series. But there are pretty serious things that need to be addressed, none of which have to do with the gameplay, thank God. Um, it's all just external stuff like the the monetization and the progression system and, and just the state of custom games. But all in all, I'm having a really, really, really fun time every time I jump onto it. It's it's a really refreshing time for Xbox, I think, to just kind of have like a slew of, you know, between Forza and, in my opinion, Psychonauts, which is I, I thought was fantastic. And, and between... Forza, Psychonauts, and this, I, th- I think this is Xbox's strongest year in a, in, a, in, a, in a long, 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 long time. I agree. And uh, How can you deny it? I mean, I, I think you yeah. have to go back. In my opinion, you have to go back to 2007 or 2008 to yeah. have a year where you have like, because it was then it was like, I, 2007 was like Bioshock, Mass Effect, Gears, was Ge- no, Gears uh, no, was 2006. No, uh, Halo 3 was Halo 3, right. Right. But, so yeah, that, it, and, that's an amazing. That's a. Ama- I mean, that's an amazing year when you think about it. Yeah. Uh, Orange box as well that year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Portal. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the original Assassin's Creed, which you know, fair enough, that wasn't like an exclusive, but that was like an impressive year to be on that platform. And and uh, I feel like this is one of those years where like I feel like this is going to be one of those years where, where people look back, especially on that side of the ecosystem, on that on that platform. People look. We, we'll probably look back at 2021 as like a really, really, really solid year. But I have a lot of criticisms. I, I don't want to waste. I don't want to get too deep into it here, but I would recommend you guys watch the Defining Duke, Duke Ultimate episode I did with Cog and Maddie because we get really into the weeds on that stuff and get really hyper specific. But yeah, it's really do. good. I would recommend trying it if you if you if you can, because it's it's really solid, like really good arena shooter shit. Dustin, we'll move over to you now. I know you're also playing Halo Infinite, so you can talk about that first. Um, and then there's others as well. So take it how you will. Yeah. Halo Infants doing their first event this week, which is cool. I'm a little annoyed because in order to get this really awesome samurai armor, you have to play the Fiesta mode, which is random guns for everybody all the time. Yeah. And it's fun at first, but I'm trying to do all these challenges and I'm just sick of playing Fiesta mode because it's usually just ends up people picking up power weapons off the ground and getting hit with a gravity hammer over and over. So it's a little annoying, but it's okay. I'm glad they're doing something different mm-hmm. already. They're already kind of pumping out some weekly stuff, and so that's cool. Other than that, though, I checked out the Kid Amnesia, the Radiohead experience. I don't really know what it is, honestly. It's a... This is actually probably the definition of a walking simulator because that's all you can do is walk around in it. And it's it's cool. It's like probably will take you about an hour to walk around and there's it's almost like going through a museum, which I believe it's actually technically called the Kid Amnesia Exhibition. And so you walk through this weird messed up museum thing and there's different elements of radiohead songs from both kid a and amnesiac where's it kid a? is what is it is it kim kid amnesia or is it kid, kid amnesiac that would what's the name is the yeah, album I called it was, amnesiac i thought it was well amnesiac is the is the album after kid a right 
Um, so I think it was just, I think, yeah, I don't know if it's called Kid A Amnesiac or Kid Amnesiac. Oh, it's called, it's called Kid, Kid A, well, I don't know, technically you could call it Kid A Amnesia, or it's Kid Amnesia, but anyway, it doesn't matter. I see, I see. Well, Overall, Matthew, though, Urso, cool. Matthew Urso wrote in about it, he says, I'm glad that you played it, because you put it in after I put this letter in, I think, so I'm glad that we have, we could talk about it more, because he says, Hi, baby boys, I wanted to write in with a PSA about that weird Radiohead experience Kid Amnesia ex- Exhibition, or Kid Amnesia. Having just played through it, I wanted to recommend it. It's free and short, roughly 30 minutes to an hour long. And while it won't be everyone's cup of tea, it's worth a go. The game is a walking simulator that acts as an audio and visual experience through art and music from Radiohead's Kid A and Amnesiac albums. There is some truly exceptional imagery in it, as well as great music, and one particularly standout moment that left quite the impression. I'd love to know what you guys think of it. If you play it at all, thanks to keep pounding that poultry. Thank you, Matthew, for writing in. You already got your opinion on it there. I like Radiohead. I might go check it out. I kind of forgot it was coming because it, I keep an eye on PSN profiles just when as trophies pop up in the servers. And that's just kind of reminds me when games are coming out. And this game, this would obviously not have trophies. So I think that that's kind of how it slipped by the goalie. But glad you enjoyed right. that. And then you're playing Super Monkey Ball Banana Mania from Sega. How is that going? It's pretty good. It feels slightly different than the original, which surprised me that I picked up on that just because I didn't have a ton of experience playing the originals, but I did play them at friends' houses and stuff like that. Something about the movement feels slightly different, but overall, it's a a fun time. Holly and I were playing some of the mini games, and the bowling mini game is just—it's it, impossible. I think it's it's extremely difficult, and we were we were actually having fun with it because I was just consistently throwing the ball just like directly off the edge, but. It was a fun time. It was cool. So I'm just lightly playing that here and there. It's not one that you want to sit and play for two hours at a time. But I do enjoy the monkey ball, marble mania, whatever type of games every once in a while. It reminds me, I actually have more experience with the Xbox 360 arcade title, Marble Marble Blast Blast Ultra. Ultra. Oh that game my God. is fucking awesome. It's a really good game. And so it's kind of like that. Look I actually don't like it as much as Marvel Blast Ultra, but it's cool. It's fine. <laughs> that's all I was thinking when you were talking about Super Mario Ball. I was like, God damn it. I wish I, was, I, would, I wish I would just bring that game forward because I, 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 would, love, I would love to play that game again because it's such a simple... It's a really simple game, but God damn, like that was such a fun game for no real reason. You just play a marble, you know? It's what the fuck? The, the <laughs> developers like made a spiritual successor that I believe is on PlayStation called Marble It Up. Uh, at least Google was telling me it's on PlayStation 4. I played it on Switch when it initially released. But yeah, check out, Chris, you should check out Marble It Up because it's basically Marble Blast Ultra. I will definitely buy that right now. I'll send it. Oh, yeah. Marble, marble It Up. Marble It Up. As for me, I've been playing a lot of Far Cry 6, and I feel emboldened after my conversation on Sacred Symbols Plus with Tom from Moore's Law is Dead. We had a conversation after we stopped recording about the game, and um, he's of the same mind I am. This game is great. I really, really, really like this game, and continually perplexed by what people are saying about it in a negative way. <laughs> I just, the more I play it, the more I'm like, this is, uh, this is awesome. This is high quality, high budget, fluid and playable, interesting characters, great dialogue, cool world, awesome gunplay, fun systems, huge map. What's there not to like about this? If you're a Far Cry fan, 
the big thing about it is that in some ways it's very far cry and in some ways it's not far cry at all and that's where i think it differentiates the people who really understand far cry and really don't like people who think on the periphery that this is a true far cry game or an old school far cry game i played the original far cry and far cry 2 i didn't beat either of them I beat and platinum to Far Cry 3, played Far Cry 4, beat and platinum to Far Cry 5, beat and platinum to Far Cry Primal. So I think I have some knowledge of the yeah. working knowledge of the series. This game is different. It's just different in a lot of different ways. It's different because it makes you, as I think I noted last week, kind of earn the map a little more. You have to kind of work your way into enemy territory without unlocking places that make it easier for you and then get out of there. The entire idea in the game is that you're a guerrilla war, a fighter, a Gaia, as they say in the game. Mm-hmm. And as such, you're doing guerrilla option. You're, you're going into a base, for instance, and instead of taking it over and, and it be, go, you know, you have the little twirling camera as it joins your map and it unlocks parts of the map or whatever. Instead, you go in and you blow shit up and then you just get the hell out of there. And that place remains in the hands of the enemy. You know, for now, until the story tells you at some point or you learn something from someone that's like, here's how you take this compound down. Here's what you need to do. And it's fun. It's Mm -hmm. just really cool. I think there's a little too much in the game, but that's Far Cry. Yeah, I'm really perplexed by. What I feel like is a pretty unfair view of this game based on the certain lenses that I've seen making it seem like this game was more of the same. And you know what? They frankly did. A lot of people did the same thing for Far Cry 5. And I thought Far Cry 5 was awesome. So I guess you know where I stand on these games. But I highly recommend Far Cry 6. If you are into shooters and open world shooters, FPS, it's... People are going to be so mad, man. It's, <laughs> yeah, I, it's I, really, saw, I saw some people who were already like, I can't believe you like that. I was like, ah, for, first of all, whatever. But Well, I, I mean, in the game of the year conversation, it's right now between Far Cry 6 and Outriders. <laughs> for me like no doubt <laughs> not even close yeah <laughs> so deal with it haters you deal gotta with it. just deal with it how do you how do you feel about uh Giancarlo Esposito as a as a villain because I, I heard from like some people that his relationship to the main character is not as direct as it typically has been in previous Far Cry's and I feel like that was a big contention with a lot of people who were like this villain doesn't seem as integral as villains have in the past. And obviously Far Cry is really well known ever since Far Cry 3 for its like really strong villains. And I could see that being like a bit of a, a weird adjustment for a lot of people who might be expecting something a little bit more direct. Yeah, it, it's, it is different. I mean, it's definitely one of the different things in the game without getting too spoilery. Yeah. yeah. The game's story revolves around Giancarlo Esposito and his son in the game and how his son is kind of being groomed to be the dictator, but the son is like young. And so you actually encounter and meet, you know, have more encounter with like the son in this like very complex relationship with him. To me, the main character of the game is just the world such that it feels authentic. Like you go into a, for instance, in the game, I've just been running around by the way, I've, I've played for so long and have done nothing. Cause I'm just going in like opening treasure chests. And I don't know why I do this in far cry. I just can't stop doing mm-hmm. all the minutiae of the game. But I started down the main line story and you find yourself at some point like in the capital city of this nation on this, this island nation, this archipelago. And it's not safe for you there. And nothing you can do makes it safe. You have to just go kind of put your holster, your gun, hope no one really identifies you. Go do what you have to do and then get out of there. And that's not Far Cry. 
that's not Far Cry. Mm. And so the whole story is pitched different based on, I think, different gameplay. So he's not going to be in your face as much as Joseph Seed or whatever, because he's so far away. He's like the leader of a nation. He's not some cult figure, you know? Yeah. Or some tyrant or whatever. It's different. I really, I think Far Cry 6 is, I think Far Cry 6 is filmic, almost cinematic in quality in terms of its storytelling, in my opinion. Like, I'm really riveted and interested by it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think, I think a large part of that, like, again, I haven't, I don't mean to spend too much time on this, but I've seen, uh, I've seen some of the cutscenes, not like spoilery ones, but like, just like some of the way that they deliver the cutscenes. And I I noticed immediately, like, I'm really happy that they have third person cutscenes in in far cry 6 as opposed to like previous games that are like like they're kind of always in first person and i like always first person and like things like bioshock uh because i think it like serves it a little better but like i always hated i don't know these like villains monologuing at you and it's just like it feels like really awkward because nobody makes that much direct eye contact ever it's like it always feels like more awkward than it does cinematic to me because i'm Mm -hmm. first of all like i can't play so why are you showing me this happening as if I was playing it, it. I don't know. Like I always preferred third person cutscenes to first person. So that was one thing. Like I'm probably not going to play Far Cry Six, not for a long time until it's like super cheap. But I think uh, I appreciate that change because just just because I I really hate first person cutscenes. Like just stop it already. There's something melancholic about this game to me too. I must say, and that I feel like this is going to be the last Far Cry game we get. that will be recognizable as a Far Cry game. It's clear Ubisoft is changing, right? I feel like this game might be the very last game, period, that feels and looks and acts like something we recognize before Ubisoft has decided clearly to go in as games as a service. The rumor about Far Cry is it's going to be a game as a service moving forward. We know The Division is going to be a game as a service, not a game you go buy and then support with DLC. We know that they're making... Games like uh, Quarantine or whatever the hell it's called now, cheaper and more accessible because they're trying to broaden the microtransaction and retention base. So there's something about this game where I just feel in my heart that I'm never going to play a Ubisoft game like this again. And or at least not for a long time. Maybe they'll get beat up and then go back. But even what they're doing with Assassin's Creed, it's clear that they're not going to treat these series the same. And that's a real shame because I feel like Pound for pound, Far Cry is probably the best thing Ubisoft has ever done, in my opinion, for me. So I hope I'm wrong, but we'll find out. In the meantime, I'm really enjoying it. I got to like just focus. I'm literally just sitting there with my ear pods in, like listening to podcasts and just killing shit and not even paying attention because I'm, <laughs> I'm paying attention when the story happens. I take my, my buds out, but there's just no story progression because I'm not in, even focused on that right now. I, I got to tell you guys, this world is huge. I can't believe how big it is. That's what she said. All right. Let's get into the news. Yeah. Before we begin, Rarity got a letter here. Benjamin Schultz wrote in and said, hello, gents. I love the content and LSM is the main video game content I I consume and couldn't be happier. My question is, how do you prepare for the show rundown? Your news doesn't reference the sources and you don't quote a lot of people. Is that because you research and write your own synopsis? How do you decide what you report on the show? What steps do you take to make sure you don't miss news? Again, love the show. Just looking for an inside baseball summary for my own curiosity. We've gone over this in the past. In some way, the reason that I wanted to read this is because, Benjamin, listen more carefully. I I cite many sources when I talk about the news. Many sources. I quote many people, quote stories, because I say quote, unquote, a lot. People make fun of me 
for doing that. So I'm sad that that's not getting through to not every, to everyone. I guess I can't control that, but I prepare very heavily for the show and we try to be very fair about the sourcing. Sometimes it's original sourcing. Often it's not. Yeah. I'm not going to source like a press release, but if it's coming from a website or something, we always source them. So thank you for writing in Benjamin. Now let's begin with the news. This just happened. As usual with our show, I have an idea for a top story until something else happens. Mm. And I feel like what's happened here is significant. I'm a little surprised people are not paying more attention to this from multiple angles. And maybe it's because we're on the verge of when we're recording this Thanksgiving. But number one, there's something up at BioWare. The most recent evidence of that comes in the form of the exit of Matt Goldman, the Dragon Age franchise's senior creative director. In a rather mysterious email sent to BioWare employees internally, as relayed by website Kotaku, the studio's GM, Gary McKay, noted in part, quote, I'm writing to inform you all that Matt Goldman is leaving BioWare. We have mutually agreed to part ways and his last day is today. We understand that Matt's departure has an impact on you as well as the game's development. Rest assured, our commitment to a high quality Dragon Age game has not wavered and we will not ship a game that's not up to BioWare standards. We, including EA's executive team, have absolute confidence in the leadership here at the studio and the people working on this game to carry forward our vision, end quote. In a comment to the website from BioWare's owner, publisher Electronic Arts, they merely said, quote, Matt Goldman is no longer working at BioWare. He leaves the next Dragon Age game in excellent hands with the team here at the studio who will carry forward our vision for the game, end quote. Now, this is a time of great trepidation in the industry. None of us should make any assumptions on the exact nature of what's going on here. But it's clear based on the verbiage in both the internal email and external communication that Goldman isn't leaving on good terms. And this isn't a huge surprise because, if anything, BioWare is hanging on by an absolute threat at this point and has virtually no goodwill left with the wider player base. Goldman worked at BioWare for nearly 25 years. He was an artist on 2000's MDK2 and, uh, and rose to art director on BioWare Hits, I'm sorry, including 2005's Xbox game Jade Empire, 2011's Dragon Age 2, and 2014's Dragon Age Inquisition. Interestingly, Goldman left BioWare after Inquisition to work at Sega-owned studio Creative Assembly before coming back to lead the Dragon Age team in 2017. BioWare is likewise obviously a mess, and has, been, and has been for some years now. Founded in 1995 and purchased outright by EA in 2007 around the time of the original Mass Effect's launch, Bioware hasn't put out a truly well-regarded game in a decade. 2017's Mass Effect Andromeda effectively obliterated that series' good name, though the legendary edition this year seems to have helped repair it, and a new Mass Effect is in development at the team. Meanwhile, 2019's MMO shooter Anthem was an ill-conceived and poorly executed product that, should, that could have destroyed the entire Bioware brand. You'll recall that Bioware was working on an action RPG as well called Shadow Realms during and after Inquisition's release, which was likewise canceled. Dragon Age 4 has been in development since 2015. I don't even know how anyone can read what the internal email and EA's release said and think that there's nothing here. I am loath to talk about it in broader terms, Dustin, because... I don't want to accuse him of doing something bad. That's not what I'm doing. But I think you can read into this. They don't say thank you. The man worked there for 25 years. Yeah. He was their art director and then their creative director on one of their biggest franchises. And the email says, Michael, Matt Goldman, I'm sorry, no longer works here. Yeah, yeah. That's what it said. Like, that's... that's. <laughs> it's, it's not even like uh, he, he'll be leaving in like... Yeah, you know what I mean. It's like usually like people have like ah, oh, it's my last like week or whatever, but now like today he's he's gone today, which is crazy. Sometimes it really is more about the things you don't say, you know. 
I totally uh, agree. And uh, the lack of a thank you for somebody who is very clearly like pretty instrumental. It's like an art, like an art lead in a video game is not is not nothing. That's a pretty significant role. So <laughs> something's up here. And uh, Bioware, man, it it's it, it just seems like they've been on fire. And not in like a positive, like, oh, man, you're on fire, bro. Like, I mean, like literally like they're burning. And I, f- it, I feel like it's just been nonstop chaos at that studio for the better part of a decade now. And I just don't know what the hell is going on. It's Very weird. It's a strange I, situation going on. I agree in the sense that <laughs> what does Bioware even mean anymore? Yeah, yeah. What what is it? I really do wonder if it's not time to kind of kill this place. And I I hate to say that because EA is so notorious for that and everyone used to joke around about how BioWare would eventually get killed by EA too and how unimaginable it would be and it is unimaginable. I think optically they just simply cannot do it because it will fulfill all of the fears that everyone has always had about them that not even BioWare could survive. Of course, other brands like Maxis got, tur- you know, these are also huge brands that got shut down as well. But Dustin, I'm curious what you what you make of this simply because I don't know what it means to be developing a Dragon Age game for this long, but have nothing to show for it. I don't know what it means to have a Mass Effect game in development with just this vague artwork of a ship. And Casey Hudson is gone and Drew Carpishin is gone and now Matt Goldman's gone. It's like, what does it even mean? And not to mention, you haven't made a game that's demonstrably, I think, Bioware since I think generously 2014's Inquisition. So it's been seven years since even you've released a game that people like. I, I just I'm confused why Bioware is even in the equation or why anyone would be excited about anything they do. They're in a Sony Santa Monica position, but in a much more dangerous position where I felt like after Ascension, God of War Ascension came to PS3. Santa Monica was like, you are now on notice that the next game that comes out of the studio better be fucking good. And it was 2018's God of War saved the studio and made it one of the greatest PS4 hits. Yeah. Bioware needs that. But it seems like nothing is near release and that everyone that made Bioware, Bioware is gone. So what is the point of keeping it together? It's the ship of Theseus situation, right? And we've seen this happen with other studios as well where you change out so many of the key components is it really bioware anymore and that's seems to be clearly the case here it's funny too because i know that dragon age inquisition has a lot of fans but at the same time there are many people that i think look back on that game not as fondly as when it came out even <laughs> I find it hilarious that that game won Game of the Year, being that it is an extremely divisive title as well. 2014 was just not good. That was a really rough year. I couldn't really believe it when it won. I, I agree with you. I couldn't believe it either. But the question is, what do you do, Colin? You mentioned the optics about EA, and it's just sad because it goes to show that when these obvious things happen... And people spell out doom and gloom. Usually they're right. It seems like more and more often. We were worried that this would happen. And it took 10 years. But it is happening. It seems. Which. It's not to say that necessarily EA is the only reason that Bioware 
went down, but surely no, they were a major no, factor. They're a huge factor in it, yeah, though. A huge factor, for sure. They're the Stuff parent. Like this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We people were worried when Blizzard combined with Activision. And guess what? It came true. It's like when these obvious bad things happen, it may take a while for the the fruit to bear. I don't know if that's <laughs> poison fruit or something. Not not good, but it it's sad because it just seems to eventually come true. It sucks, but well, it's like when you think about it, they were purchased around the time Mass Effect came out. And you imagine if you're at the studio, you're riding high and it's clear Mass Effect's going to be a trilogy from the very beginning. That was the design so that nothing changes for you, right? It's like, okay, this is what we're doing. We're ma- EA owns us. Who cares? We're making this trilogy. But ever since then, the second that trilogy left the door in 2012, they've been they've been totally lost. And that is EA's fault because they don't know what to do with the talent. They should have kept making Mass Effect games. They shouldn't have tied up Mass Effect the way they did in such a way to make it so difficult to go back to it. Now, no one even has any idea how they're going to fix this problem because Mass Effect 3 is so final. And meanwhile, you have Dragon Age, and I'm glad you brought up Dragon Age Inquisition, which is the third game. I played Dragon Age Origins. I wrote the strategy guide for it at IGN. That game sucks. And (laughs) I thought it sucked then. I'm glad. And I know it sucked. And I know it sucks now. You know, and I was always of the mind that this was a BT, a BRT, a B tier effort from a studio that whose best wasn't working on it. And Dragon Age 2 looked so bad when it came out to me. I was like, I'm not playing this trash. And then Dragon Age. So Inquisition was a non-starter for me. So I also have to say that Bioware is overrated. And even under those. I think extensive parameters of having something really good and a lot of good games. They made KOTOR. They made Jade Empire. They made a lot of great stuff back in the day. But note that those were <laughs> KOTOR and Jade Empire had nothing to do with EA. And yeah, there has been no replicant of an, an original IP like Jade Empire, for instance, since then. They tried. They canceled a game. And then Anthem was just ill-conceived. Anthem is when you say... Anthem is when you look at a board, you're playing a board game and you look at all the pieces and you're like, well, I have some end that I want to that I want, which is Anthem. And so I'm going to take all of the pieces on the board, no matter what they can do and what their power are, like playing chess. And they're all just going to they're all going to go into this one thing that doesn't make sense to them. None of them are. We're not designed to make Anthem. No one here is here to make Anthem. We don't make multiplayer games. We make role playing games. But now you're going to make Anthem. Yeah, that's EA's fault. And I feel like they know it's urgent that they have to save Bioware. And I, but I don't know that they can. (laughs) Dragon Age 4 has been in development for six years. They just lost their director again. Time to cancel that bad boy, I think. Yeah. Start again. And also just like, what is it? What is it that you're trying to save at this point? You know, like everybody's gone. The it just seems like they're in they're in a really rough situation because their 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 golden child IPs are not in good spots. Every, when they try to do a new IP, doesn't shake up too well. So like they're just in the situation. It's like what do we do? Everything we do is terrible, and I don't know how I would handle that. Really, like I'd be like, I'm fucking leaving, bro. I'm I out think of here. That, 
that's the that's what i think is an interesting point is that a lot of people have left and it kind of begs the question why do you even see bioware is in edmonton it's a weird place to be yeah and edmonton's a you know albert is a wonderful place but edmonton's a weird place to be if you're not even be if you're not the bioware used to be where people would go i knew people that moved to edmonton to work there from california it's a weird move but you you wanted it so bad and I feel like, are they really attracting that kind of talent there now? If so, why would you even stay there? That's a dead zone. If anything, maybe offer everyone to move and bring them to, because they, they have a place in Texas. I think it's a much better place for them to focus now. Or go somewhere else to attract different talent. Maybe revive BioWare by really spreading your, you know, your tentacles, as it were, to try to grab as many different people that might have been inspired by you. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's time for you to go to them because they're not going to go to you anymore. I feel like this is a self-fulfilling prophecy of failure. I'll be really pleased if the new Mass Effect game is great. I'll be really shocked if the new Dragon Age is great because I don't even know if they know what that Dragon Age game is now. And we've already lost <laughs> we've already lost sight in some way. This is why it's so complicated. What did this guy do? Yeah, that's the other question is. And I'm not saying it's like, I don't mean what did you do to this person? What did you do? I don't mean that. You were removed. They don't like you, obviously. They had not one word to say about you on the way out, both internally and externally. They didn't say for 25 years, Matt Goldman was a key part of Bioware. As an, he began as an artist on our, our series MDK before moving on to some yeah. of our wa- most wonderful releases. We wish him the very best. <laughs> yeah. Matt Goldman is no longer with the company. Yeah, it's oh, okay. a it's a it's a particularly <laughs> it, you you can like feel the venom coming off of it. Yeah. You know, like it's it's not like because I've I've seen people leave studios before. Like obviously, like famously, like I think uh, Marty O'Donnell and Bungie parted ways in a way that was like not even remotely amicable. But even their separation was like far less venomous than this. So like it, it was like. This makes me really, really curious as to like what the hell went down. I wonder. If I saw it's Mar- like- by the way, I saw Marty O'Donnell's weird hostage video the other day where yeah, he right? had to like t- tell people to delete their copies of his music or whatever. Yeah, it's very that weird. Was a funny. That was a funny one. Dustin, I, I, before let's wrap this up by kind of probing what you think happened. And I'm not saying that we can we should go into the nitty gritty. What I'm saying is, doesn't it seem to be most likely that Dragon Age sucks and that. <laughs> It still sucks and that thus you have a man who was not able to save it and right. who was actually the art director on some of the games that sucked. So while important at the studio, I feel like it might be as simple as them because it says mutually, right? You could read that and say, like, we're going to throw you out because you did something bad. Or you could read that as saying, like, this isn't working and you got to go and we're not going to embarrass you by firing you. Right. And so I kind of feel like although it's interesting to think about how heinous what might have happened happened, I don't think it is that I think and I don't want to accuse anyone of that. I think rather it's simply a lack of results. But I would just argue that there have never been results. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing I don't think that we've brought up at all that is very important to the development story of Dragon Age 4 is that initially it was being reported that Dragon Age 4 was going to have live service elements. And it wasn't until I think we got news reports in February this year that they were ditching the live service elements 
after uh, Anthem did so horribly. So after being in development for so many years and then having a major change in the stylistic approach of how you deliver content in the game, it's clear this game was having an identity crisis of, of some kind. So maybe it is a situation where he wasn't able to turn it around, which sucks because I'm guessing that the, the, the choice to have Dragon Age be a live service game did not come from Bioware. Probably came from EA. Not necessarily, but I'd have to assume because that's I mean, the money chasing of the live service is is huge for these big publishers. So what the hell? Are, yeah. How did live service elements even get into the pitch for a Dragon Age game? Money. Yeah. God yeah. Christ Almighty! I, I'm, they, I, I know, know it's it's so it is real. I don't like to be that dismissive where it's like it's EA because that's a, such a fanboy stupid. YouTube argument thing to say, but at some point we have to just shrug our shoulders and say, this is the way it defaults. They eventually want to annualize and squeeze everything out of you. And since they can't annualize Bioware games, they they're going to microtransaction them to death. And I think that's probably where the idea for Anthem came from. There was no one strong enough to that studio to say, we don't make these games. I mean, and I think EA has made the right choice since then, like going and buying Codemasters, I think was a shrewd move on their part. They can make car games. Now you have guys that can replicate and do your frostbite engine annualized NASCAR shit, whatever you want to do. I just think that it was it almost is it's similar to Visceral and Pandemic, where you wonder if this fit at all ever or if it was really just a couple of one offs. And then suddenly you find yourself with a studio that doesn't fit the culture wherein you're looking to constantly monetize and monetize and monetize and monetize. And they did it to Bioware and it goes to show you. What I keep saying, every opportunity taken is infinite opportunities lost. When you cast the die in the video game industry, you are locked in for three, four, five, six years. That took Bioware off the map at a time when it was integral that they kept making games that were good. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's confusing as fuck. So we will see and keep an eye on this. But assuming Matt Goldman didn't do anything horrifying, we wish him the very best. He just maybe failed. But we really have to question why bioware at this point yeah. why number two as usual the next batch of playstation plus games have leaked giving us a glimpse into december's offerings for the uninitiated if you're a playstation plus subscriber you get access to a batch of games for free as part of your subscription each month as long as you add these games to your download list during the month you can access them freely at any time so long as your plus account is active this month we revert back to three games after a psvr late in november more than doubled sony's usual offerings the big game of the month is one we all knew would eventually come to PS Plus, Godfall. Both the PS4, uh, both the PS5 launch version and the later PS4 port will be available for free. They're cross-play, of course, allowing players to jump into the lukewarmly met multiplayer game published by Gearbox. Two more games will be available on the PlayStation 4 side as well. Action RPG Mortal Shell from Studio Cold Symmetry, which launched on PS4 in 2020, will be free to download. In addition to Traveler's Tales 2018 release Lego DC Supervillains. It's unclear when in December these games will go free, so keep an eye out on the PlayStation Store and add them to your download list when they become available. Dustin, let's go to you first. What do you make of this list? I actually think this is a pretty good month. I, I don't think it's the strongest month, but you get sensibly a AAA multiplayer shooter, and then you get it a Lego game, which is always AAA, and this game Mortal Shell is pretty well regarded as well. So um, what do you make of this? I would definitely say that Mortal Shell is probably the most desirable game in this list. 
I played some of it when it came out. It's definitely a Souls-like game. I personally can't get into... <laughs> it sounds funny, but maybe I'm too much of a purist. I've never found a Dark Souls-like game that I've enjoyed anywhere near to the extent of the actual Dark Souls game. And that's probably just me being stuck up in my head just because, again, I'm an idiot and probably a purist for, for from software. But a lot of people really like this game, Mortal Shell. It felt a little slow to me, like a little bit too slow, almost like your character is swinging a sword through molasses. So just be aware of that. But overall, decent month. I don't know who is really wanting to jump into Godfall at this point, but yeah, maybe there's still a dedicated fan base for that. I mean, a bunch of games look, have look, their own I, little I, community. <laughs> I don't say this. I don't say this lightly. Godfall is free. Don't don't bother with it. Have you played like, it? Yes. Like, oh, <laughs> I didn't beat it because, because no no way was I subjecting myself to that. But I actually <laughs> I actually think I actually think. You benefit more. I know. I know. We usually have the 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 kind of recommendation here where it's like get these games in your library so that way you have them for the future. With this one, it actually harms you if you get it. I think. Oh, like actually, your, your library <laughs> is it's, it's taken up a, a place in your library. Yeah, because all yeah. all it's doing is like it's taking up a space. You're gonna look at it and you're gonna be like, oh, that's in my library now. That's <laughs> it. It's it's just. I, I, it is so terrible. I can't even believe it. So like, just stay away from it. My recommendation, or anti-recommendation, I guess. God, lo- good lord, who made that? Why? I was looking up D- the Lego DC Supervillains game just because Traveler's Tale doesn't release games anymore. <laughs> and remember, remember they yeah. used to release Lego games like twice a year, and now they release like nothing? That was two games ago for them, so it's not a... They used. It's like a more recent release for them, so pretty high quality, I think, this month overall. I imagine the plan was always to make Godfall free a year after release. Hmm, yeah, I don't think it's a coincidence that it's happening December. By the way, as of the time of recording this, that hasn't been none of those games have been confirmed, but obviously it's true. All right. Number three, in an awesome example of homebrewers and hackers doing something undeniably good for games, a group called PlayStation Online Network Emulated is in the midst of reviving the online functionality of old PlayStation 3 games. Word comes by way of website Video Games Chronicle, though you can look at the initiative yourself by going to PS1, that's P-S-O-N-E dot online slash home. So here's the rub. This group posted information about and then a video of them using private servers to support the online functionality of, in this specific case, the PS3 European launch game, MotorStorm. Better yet, this can be done with a retail PS3 and a normal version of the game. Though as VGC notes, quote, players must own a PlayStation 3 and a copy of MotorStorm. They can also use a PS3 emulator, but will have to be whitelisted on PS1's Discord server to prevent abuse of the system, end quote. On a PlayStation 3 console, all a player apparently has to do is change its primary DNS address to something PS1 set up and voila, you'll be able to connect to private online servers for not only 2006's aforementioned MotorStorm, developed by now-defunct first-party studio Evolution, which made last, or last made Drive Club, but other games too. These include Guerrilla's 2009 FPS Killzone 2, arguably the most popular online PlayStation game ever, as well as the 2007 Warhawk revival from now-defunct first-party Team Incognito, the 2012 port of the 2001 PS2 game Twisted Metal Black, also from Incognito, Incognito's 2007 PSN-exclusive Calling All Cars, and 2008's SOCOM spinoff, Confrontation, which was developed by the defunct second-party studio Slant 6. Interestingly, VGC notes that they're trying to revive PlayStation Home itself, as well as support for the 2006 Insomniac launch game Resistance Fall of Man, Studio Liverpool's beloved 2008 PSN racer Wipeout HD, and others. 
It's unclear how Sony intends on responding, however, or if this can be or will be ultimately shut down with an exceedingly rare firmware update for the PS3. PS3 has for the last few years received a new patch every six months or so. Sony last sold new PS3s in 2017 as more and has more recently discontinued all publishing on the machine. This is awesome. Yeah. When I saw this and I was watching the video, I'm like, this is incredible. And my my fear here, Chris, is that Sony will just step in and shut this down with a firmware update. I assume that that will be possible, but I don't know if it I, I would have to know more because the DNS address, they don't seem to be concerned about it, first of all. Like I was reading the website, they don't make mention of the firmware. They also don't accept any money or anything like that. So that's good. But I wonder if Sony can just shut down your ability to edit your DNS with a firmware update and if they will do that. But my hope is, is like why this doesn't hurt you. No one is hurting you, Sony, doing this. This is cool. And what I'm really excited about is that it allows people to go back in. If they can get some of these games going, you can start going back and getting some trophies and shit from games that are dead. This brings back to the four and you don't have to do it with an emulator or some illegal thing that might get you in trouble. You're doing it with your PS3. So I, I was thinking about you, Chris, when this was when this when I was reading this, because I feel like this is something you would really appreciate and support. Yeah, no, I, I, I love it. And, and honestly, like if this is something that's like bad or something that Sony cares about, well, they should have facilitated uh, this kind of environment themselves. You know, like it really it really is that simple. Like if people really want to play these games, they will find a way to do it. You know, it's just the way it works. Like, I remember when Halo 2 got shut down in April of 2011, there was like all sorts of workarounds. It's like, hey, we're going to use this. I think it was called Xbox Connect. It was like some website uh, that you could go on. You could play it. And it thrived there because obviously people love these games. And like PS3 is an interesting one because like PS3 was never as multiplayer focused as, you know, the Xbox side of things. Even, Even to this day, I feel like that's true. So I I would be shocked if this picked up enough steam to really get a reliable matchmaking queue working in any one of these games because it's so spread. There isn't like that one killer app for for PlayStation 3 online that everybody's going to funnel into and kind of give you that proper revival of an experience. So that's a, that's definitely like a problem, but I'm super stoked to see some of these games have the chance to have that revival, especially when Sony just refuses to do anything about it and you know, whether that be because they can't or they won't is kind of irrelevant because guess who guess who can? These guys. And they figured it out and they're doing it. And I, I support it wholeheartedly. I do think Sony would be foolish to uh, interfere in any real way here. I think they would be really dumb to to kind of shut this down. Although I can see a situation where maybe they're kind of forced to act as as a means to kind of like protect their property not necessarily not necessarily because they want to but because like legally they're kind of obligated to protect their ip and they're obligated to protect their online ecosystems in a way that might prevent other people from tampering in the way that they are a similar thing happened with halo online actually though it was like a russian port of halo that was like hacked by like a bunch of people who like and it was used to basically like retrofit halo 3 onto pc for the first time ever and like microsoft was like hey this is really this is really cool we don't want to shut this down but we have to because if we don't then that opens the door for everybody to just kind of like freely use our ip and stuff like that right i understand it's like a very different situation Uh, i don't know how this would work legally because it's just technically reviving old servers through like a third party like interface but 
I would recommend to Sony that they don't interfere with this at all. In I fact, would as well. in fact, oh, I would say highlight this. I would I would even go so far as to shout this out so that way uh even more people might know about it and and more people might funnel into these old games that uh that are dead in the water, but at the same time we've had conversations about Sony's treatment of the PS3 and and the PS3 store and like how like a lot of their motivations for shutting down these stores in the first place was maybe to sh- to minimize the amount of purchases that were made on that platform and maybe they don't want to draw attention to this thing because maybe that was like oh my god we got to like we got to file like tickets for for PlayStation 3 purchases now like it's a very complicated situation it's very weird one that could be immediately alleviated by backwards compatibility yeah that that but, was the, the well that's the big thing i was thinking if they have any sort of backwards compatibility in motion that would be an excuse for them to shut this down. A cool right. company, a cool conglomerate would realize that this is doesn't hurt you. I agree and draw attention to it. I'm sure that their lawyers would probably have eight million reasons why they shouldn't. But it's the Nintendo argument you made, which is that Nintendo sues everyone because they don't want anyone to think they can get away with anything. And the second yeah. that they don't sue someone is the second that someone thinks they got away with something and that's bad for them. And I totally get that, that logic. But Dustin, I'm excited about this because of the revival. See, these guys know PlayStation. It's clear because... Two of the games they focused on are massive games on early in PS3's life. Warhawk was huge. If people were around when PlayStation 3 had first come out, 2006, 2007, 2008. Now, Warhawk was first on PS1, but this was a Warhawk revival and it was a big multiplayer game. And so I remember it was hysterical. I remember being at Ryan Clements's and Greg's old place and others playing it. And it's a totally silly game. And then Killzone 2, as I noted in our news write up, is maybe the most famous popular online game that they've ever made. Sony. Um, now, they don't have very many. You can look at the SOCOM games and others, but people love Killzone 2. So they're identifying these games that I think people would want to come back. But it does beg the question as to can Sony, will Sony shut this down and to what end? I mean, what do you think will happen? I think the most risky thing that they're touching is PlayStation Home because I've I predicted on this show, which I'm standing by, that I think Sony's going to bring back PlayStation Home for the next PlayStation VR. I think that especially now with with Facebook trying to dominate this idea of the metaverse that Sony is thinking like we have this platform that we made and this is the perfect opportunity to give PlayStation its own metaverse or whatever. And so that would be the riskiest aspect to me, kind of like what Chris was saying about how if Sony was interested in working on some of these properties again to have these somewhat bootleg versions of the online floating around might not be desirable. I think it's awesome, but I, I dude, also with Sony being so scared of anyone fucking around with their network, yeah. rightfully so after what happened, I'm expecting for them to try to inter- interfere in some way to try to get this shut down, uh, unfortunately. But, Chris, you mentioned Xbox Connect and that I remember using Xbox Connect to play Halo 1. It sounds like a very similar type of thing, though I think Xbox Connect worked off of the... It, like, tricked your Xbox into thinking it was in a LAN connection when yeah, it was yeah. an online. I'm curious how this works with the DNS, though. That's very... That's unlike anything I've seen as far as some of these weird trickery things to get online working. But 
It's very interesting. Totally. Yeah, I'm excited to see if this lasts. I'm very, very excited. By the way, if any of you guys at PS1 listen to this show, maybe you do, reach out to me. We'll have you on. Reach out. Number four, the incredibly controversial game 12 Minutes. Once available only on PC and Xbox is officially PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5 bound. It will launch on both consoles on December 7th in just a couple of weeks. Developed by Luis Antonio, a solo developer with credits as an artist on Rockstar Games' Manhunt 2 and Midnight Club, as well as work on the PS4 console-exclusive adventure game The Witness. In the game, which is played from a single top-down view, players are required to work through similar situations repeatedly. In addition to the notable adventure-centric time loop gameplay, three major actors lend their voices to the game, James McAvoy, Daisy Ridley, and Willem Dafoe. Launched on Xbox Series X and S, Xbox One and PC back in August, the game enjoys a mid-70s Metacritic score, though it seems much more divisive than the average score represents. Now, I don't know anything about this game, like what it's about. I know Mm -hmm. that people, a lot of people hate it. I'm definitely going to play it. I really, really like it. Remind me, Chris, did you play this game? I did. I did. I played it. What did you think of it? I played it for approximately 12 minutes. Yeah, and, uh, that's right. You didn't like it. No, no, I, I couldn't stand it. I, I, I think not, not because I didn't think it was like a good idea. Like I think, I think I'm happy this game exists because I, I, I acknowledge that people are finding things to like about it. I appreciate the uniqueness of it. I think it's really interesting, uh, conceptually, and I think it's cool to have, you know, this kind of talent associated with video games. Like I love Willem Dafoe. Like you know, like I think it's like super interesting to have him in the fray in this way. And Willem Dafoe is no stranger to video games. Obviously, he did Beyond Two Souls and, you know, and uh, he lent his voice to the Spider-Man games and all that. But I I, I just felt like this game was going for something that could have been interesting in concept, but I felt like it was just like executed very sloppily. There are like there are lines of dialogue that feel like they weren't recorded with the understanding that they could potentially be played out of order certain revelations occur out of order in the same play session and it just doesn't make sense like the wife will be angry at you and then like immediately okay and then she'll after that immediately like act like she's learning the thing that she's mad about after she's already mad about it. it's like very strange it's like very inconsistent and i just found it to be very sloppy in my experience other people were more fortunate than me and maybe the RNG of of that type of, you know, the, the quality dialogue and like the sequencing of events like happened to line up and gave them a really compelling story. I would recommend checking it out. I think it's interesting. I think maybe you'll like it. Maybe you won't. But it is one of those games that I think is interesting enough to check out. It's, you know, it's definitely something. Yeah, it's 25 bucks. So it's uh, it's kind of on the pricey side, but I I would wait for it. I would down. wait. I would. Yeah, wait I don't. I don't mind. I'm going to I'll buy it. I wouldn't see what what it is. But Dustin, are you are you a fan of this? I I don't remember what your experience is with this game. I completed this game and I I played it on Game Pass, so I didn't have to. That's right. It was on Game Pass. Yeah, it was on Game Pass. I think this game is a skip. Personally, it is so incredibly frustrating at certain points, which, again, this was mixed. Not everyone found it super frustrating, but with it being a time loop game. I don't feel like this is a spoiler. You'll be playing the beginning part of this over and over, trying to figure out what you need to do in order to break this time loop, whatever. Almost like death loop in a way. Not quite, though. I don't know. Anyway, everything Chris said was totally spot on. There's parts that tonally don't make any sense because of the way they do the time loop mechanic. 
there's parts that are just frustrating because if you have an idea on how to do something and it doesn't work, then you just have to restart and do everything you just did again and then maybe change one little element in hopes that it works. And maybe it doesn't work again, so you do it a third time. And then maybe you fuck up and press the wrong button or grab the wrong thing or don't do something quick enough. So guess what? You're going to do it again. Yeah. So I I would only recommend this to people who are specifically interested. Maybe you saw a trailer and you want to check it out. I would say wait for a sale for sure. Overall, though, it's it's not the worst game I've ever played. I don't want to hit it too hard, but I yeah. I was really very much done with it by the yeah. time I got to the end. Yeah, it's a very incongruous game. Yeah, is is the best way that I could kind of summarize it. You know, it it, it feels very much uh, not in sync with itself. Yeah, and and it was just very distracting for me. It seems very Quantic Dream like almost in the in the butterfly effects, especially with Detroit tried to do that. And obviously, Supermassive did that in Until Dawn as well. But that this just isn't eloquent or elegant, rather, I should say, enough for it to have executed the similar thing. Interesting that Willem Dafoe who is clearly interested in narrative games because he did voice in uh, Beyond Two Souls as well. Interesting that he's attracted to these kinds of games. I'd be, I would love to know more about his... He's clearly a fan of games. Maybe he's not a player of them, but maybe he is. Let's get him on Sacred Symbols Plus. That'd be cool. That'd be amazing. That'd be cool. And then I'd ask him... To, <laughs> I'm a bit of a fucking idiot myself. <laughs> <laughs> All Classic. Right. Number six... As long predicted as oh, I mean, no, I'm sorry. Number five. We've skipped number five. I'm sorry. Number five. According to a study shared by website GamesIndustry.biz, PlayStation 5 players are still stubbornly holding on to physical releases. As noted in the article, GamesIndustry.biz's sources is actually GI Live Summit, in which an organization called Global Sales Data or, S, or GSD went over numbers ranging from PS5's November 2020 launch to the end of the past summer. The site states in part that, quote, GSD tracks full game box sales from 23 countries and digital sales from 49 and covers all major publishers, end quote. So the numbers are both thorough and accurate, and they show something interesting. Not not only do PS5 gamers have a physical copy preference, but the preference is actually trending upward. In PS5's launch month of November 2020, digital downloads outpace physical sales. But each month since the website notes, digital sales have outdone physical, quote, in December 2020, five digital or five retail games were sold for every four downloads. By the end of August, this had increased to three box games for every two downloads. End quote. This brings total box game sales on PlayStation 5 to just a hair over 10 million, with digital slating somewhere in the 7.5 million range. Why is this? GSD has some ideas. Quote, Firstly, the high price tag for new PS5 titles around $70 means consumers prefer to invest in a physical item. End quote. In addition, quote, the ability to sell and lend box games is also a factor. And since the PlayStation 5 is only a year old, there is not an extensive digital catalog of past releases to choose from, end quote. Dustin, I, I saw you nodding and I, I, I was thinking of you as I wrote this story. Mm. It seems too good to be true for you, right? I mean, they kind of I was reading the story and they kind of blow it up at the end. They're like, because it's a good point. There isn't a digital catalog to buy anything from yet. You know, like mm. there's just no there are no digital. I mean, everything is digital, but I understand their argument. There also are no digital games. Right. Once once everything starts stacking up and becoming cheaper, there's no way that this is going to persist. But I still think it is a real sign of PlayStation 5 fans inclination towards physical releases, which I think they share with Switch fans, which I think they don't share with Xbox series and Xbox one fans, which is why there are very rarely ever special edition releases on those consoles. Right. 
Yeah, I I felt bad. I wasn't here on the episode when you guys were talking about the Metal Gear games getting delisted and there was a discussion about physical. I wasn't there to represent. But I I don't want to see a future of just physical or a, a future of just digital. I want to see them both coexist where you can have either one, which I know that some people feel that, which, and there may be some truth to it, that as long as physical games exist, we're not going to see the the level of sales that you see on PC due to retail or whatever. But there's just too many factors that are going to draw people to digital. And I think you wrote here in the story or quoted from the story that the ability to sell and lend box games is absolutely huge. People buy games, play through them, sell them, and then use that money towards their next purchase, which in addition to a lot of times physical games can just be cheaper than digital games on the PlayStation store. So there's a lot of frugal gamers out there that look at that and say, I want to let my friend borrow this. I can get it cheaper or I could sell it if I don't like it. And then there's also people like me that just enjoy having the collection of boxes and stuff. I Colin, oh, I guess you both have been to my house now, so you've seen my my wall. Not everybody would would want that, and that's fine. But again, that goes back to what I was saying at the beginning: is that I like the option of having both. I think that mm. that's the the happy medium is that you can choose digital or choose physical. Chris, I'm curious what you make of this because. I think it kind of comports with what we understand about the PlayStation 5 discless version, which is that you can't find one and that not many of them are out there. Yeah. And this doesn't seem to be really affecting anything because why would it in some sense? You still have the option to download everything. I've never put a disc in my PS5 yet. But this is a little shocking. And I, I, it, I'm glad you brought it up, Dustin, because something in that story that they said that I didn't quote was that people like collecting games. and. Yeah. It's just different that way. Does this surprise you that it seems like PlayStation fans more than others are are holding on to the past, as it were? A little bit, uh, only because I feel like I don't know, man. Like I, I just I'm a very I I'm big on convenience. You know, I'm, I grew up in New York. I grew up in a place where you could get ev- all of your all of your errands done in like an hour. If you were like super efficient because everything's super close together, you can just walk across the street to the grocery store, walk across the street to the gym, walk a block to get whatever you needed to, to get done. So I, I'm a big fan of anything that makes, especially my leisure activities, like playing a game easier and less uh, irritating. And the the very second on Xbox 360 and PS3 that I could download like proper full games and not have to like walk up to my console, open the disc tray, swap out the discs, hope to God that the disc I was putting in wasn't scratched. <laughs> you know, like I just, I immediately went for it. I've been on the, dig- the digital train for a very, very long time. I, I only have a few PS4 games, and I think like the only Xbox One game I have is Metal Gear Solid 5. You know, from 2015. I don't even know why. I just think I was like, ah, I kind of like the way the box looks. And then I and I was like, I'm fine with just this. But it is a little surprising just because I think it's such a convenient thing that 
I almost question. I don't want to say I almost question. I, I, I think it's just a, a big part of next gen to me to just kind of be able to pull whatever game I want out of the ether at any given moment and just sort of play it. I think that's such a fantastic amount of power to have and to have it locked behind the same kind of methods that we always had, which is open the box, put the disc in. I don't know. It, it just doesn't feel, it feels so old to me that I don't know if I could, I don't know if I could ever go back to that, you know, after having made that tra- transition. But I am I happy to see, like, I don't know, like, I've always been, I've always liked seeing other people's collections. Like, I have my own from, like, back in the day. I think it's a little bit, I think it's a little bit more interesting when it's, like, older stuff, you know, personally. Like, I don't, like, I don't know, something about, like, a, a a bunch of PS5 games. It's like, all right, it just looks like, a, it just looks like I'm in a Walmart, you know what I mean? <laughs> but, like, if you see, like, stuff like Nintendo cartridges and, like, like original Xbox and, like, PS2 and, like, the PS1, like, CD jewel cases, uh, I think those are, like, really special because they're, they're just there's something almost ancient about them especially in regards to like how time passes on the internet where it's like the ps1 might as well be like a million years ago but i'm happy that people are i'm happy that we have the option for both of these as as of right now because i do like seeing people's collections and i do like that we can still get games physically and especially in in an era where like games can just be taken off the store for no good reason i think it's i think it's an important tradition that should continue into the far, far future. I, I, I would, I would be very sad to see a digital only future, even though that is the way that I prefer to, to get my games. Let's go on to number six. As long predicted, assumed and telegraphed, Hideo Kojima is jumping into the world of film as well as television and music. Word comes by way of website gamesindustry.biz, which relayed word that Kojima Productions would now have a Los Angeles based presence, quote, dedicated to music, TV and film, end quote. Leading the team is an interesting choice, Riley Russell. Russell has been at PlayStation since near the beginning of the brand and has long been the brand's chief legal officer and general counsel. According to him, this brand new or this new branch of Koji Pro, quote, will be tasked with working with creative and talented professionals in television, music and film, as well as the more familiar games industry. The team has its charter, the, uh, has its charter goal of expanding the reach and awareness of the properties now under development at Kojima Productions and to make them even more part of our popular culture, end quote. Kojima Productions, which was founded in 2005 and was once under the umbrella of publisher Konami, is best known for its pioneering work on Metal Gear Solid. Headquartered in Tokyo, you'll recall that Koji Pro has also opened a studio in the Netherlands a couple of years ago, widely considered a move to bring them closer in proximity to Sony-owned Guerrilla, the studio which created the Decima engine which Kojima used for 2019's Death Stranding. Kojima has long been vocal about wanting to create movies and and is an obvious lover of film, pardon, and this seems to be a logical next step. For his independent brand. Important news in here, Dustin. It confirms, I think, for the first time that they're working on more than one game. And I feel like this is just the natural course that companies are going to find themselves in, independent companies find themselves in. I think they're in a similar situation with Remedy, where Remedy is kind of like maybe playing around with, or CD Projekt, right? With Witcher on TV and the Witcher books and, and all of this. So this makes a lot of sense to me. I was reading about Riley Russell and I don't understand where they found this guy. I mean, this guy was just like the, a lawyer. I mean, not just a lawyer. He's a lawyer at PlayStation for a long time. I don't know why they tapped him. He must have some some special connections or whatever for Kojima to want to like l- let him lead one of the teams. But what do you make of this? And what do you think might come of it knowing what we know, which I or knowing what we feel you know, we know, which is that they're making a, a sequel to Death Stranding or making another game with Sony, which I think is obvious. Seems obvious they're also making a game with Microsoft. 
so what do you make of this where, where we might see this come to fruition especially because unfortunately for him he doesn't have control of his ip and therefore the thing that everyone would want to see into a tv show or a movie metal gear solid is not quite possible right well i feel like it makes sense for them to have an office in la just in the fact that kojima's games are so tied to a lot of industry that happens there whether it's the actors that he wants in the games the music in the games or whatever but i'm a little weary about the idea of a movie directed by hideo kojima or something like that obviously we love kojima's games we love death stranding all three of us have talked about how much we love that game in a way, the some of the cinematic qualities of that game, I don't think would would work in a movie. It's kind of hokey in some aspects. In fact, everything Kojima's done has this Japanese melodrama. Maybe it's a bit cheesy and campy at points. Mm-hmm. And I just don't know how that would translate to film. I think that it would be looked at from a different lens that potentially wouldn't be as favorable. Now, maybe that's not the plan exactly, is to have Kojima in the director's chair, but to have him be creative oversight where they plug in the right people to different IPs related to the Kojima brand. Hopefully that's the the solution, but I don't know. I feel like Kojima wants to direct a, a movie. Deep down, he he tweets constantly about all the movies that he watches, all the actors that he loves, all the directors he likes hanging out with. It it feels like a situation from for me, at least from the outside looking in, that he's kind of surrounded himself in the movie industry and he's never made a movie. And he kind of seems like he wants to if all your friends and what you talk about constantly is not exactly what you're doing in a way though they're they're tied but i don't know i personally want to see kojima make games i don't really want him to make movies but i'd love to be wrong i'd love to see a some kind of maybe a death stranding film project or tv project or who knows what he's got cooking up maybe it has nothing to do with death stranding maybe it's something totally different i'd love to be wrong but i I don't know if that's what I'd like to see his focus be. What do you make of this, Chris, as a fellow fan of Kojima? It's worth noting, by the way, that Kojima Pro, Koji Pro had an L.A. office for a little while when they were with Konami. So this isn't the first time that they were there, but that was really a support team. This is something totally different. And it kind of brings into an encapsulation for me this uh, this notion like David Cage, but maybe less meanly. People often accuse, let's say in quotes, uh, Kojima of wanting to be a movie director. Like, just get out of here already. You don't want to make games like that kind of thing. And I don't feel that way about him. But I do think that he wants to do everything. And clearly he is so inspired by by film that it would be surprising if he didn't get in. And I bet you he'd be pretty good at it. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I have largely the same opinion that Dustin has. I, I think like I would. Uh, I think Kojima's voice is very unique in games. And I think the the creativity that he displays in this particular craft is a creativity that cannot be effectively utilized in film like i i i don't know if you can have something like this psychomantis boss fight in film you know like you just can't have that interactive element you can't have that like the outside of the box creativity you can't have that 
that external kind of almost like this crazy ghostly hand that kind of extends out of what you're playing and like reaches towards you in the same way that you can have it in video games because they're an interactive medium. I think what he was doing even with even with PT was like super fascinating and I, I would hate to lose a creative voice like that to the film industry where I just feel like I just feel like it just I I don't know if it would be I don't know if it can utilize his talents as as much as video games can and I do think he wants to make a movie and I I don't necessarily think it's a bad idea I I would just hate for him to go to film and never come back that's if you want to make a movie I'm like fine but it would be it would be tragedy to lose Hideo Kojima to the film industry like I think uh well just, it just definitely be, would be but but hopefully it doesn't happen. yeah yeah and you know we'll 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 see what it is <laughs> i think uh he's a fascinating person i do think he's he's tweeted all like i all, all of his tweets are pretty much movie stuff like i saw him tweeting a lot about it's actually how i find out about movies sometimes like oh yeah i didn't even realize <laughs> go read kojima's feed yeah for real like I, I i didn't even realize edgar wright had a new movie until i saw hideo kojima tweeting about it it's like like last night in soho or something and i'm like oh shit mm. i didn't even know that this was happening i don't know if the marketing budget for that movie is super low but i love edgar wright he's like one of my favorite directors so like you know best wishes to him on whatever the hell he's doing you know but don't abandon games that's my one wish yeah i think i think he the clarion call for him is real i think i don't think he's ever going to leave but let him get his dreams out of him i think it'll make him a stronger game creator if anything you know yeah let him go and if he comes back it was meant to be number seven if you're looking for news to gently remind you that we are in an era of unprecedented mergers and acquisitions across our industry, how about another? Epic Games, the developer of Fortnite and the creator of Unreal Engine, has revealed the purchase of a studio, Boston-based Harmonix. Founded in the shadow of MIT in the late 90s, Harmonix's Sony-published PlayStation 2 exclusive music games Frequency and Amplitude were beloved cult hits of the era. However, the studio truly hit the mainstream with Guitar Hero on PlayStation 2 in 2005, followed by sequels and ultimately Rock Band in 2007. For the last decade or so, however, Harmonix's popularity has ebbed with the failing popularity of music games generally, and although they've still been putting out games, their work has primarily been in the mobile, casual, and VR spaces for more than five years. That Epic is coming in to purchase them is frankly a surprise, particularly when you consider what Epic intends on doing with them, using them to support the Fortnite cash cow. According to Epic Games' press release, quote, the Harmonix team will collaborate closely with Epic to develop musical journeys and gameplay for Fortnite while continuing to support existing titles, including Rock Band 4, end quote. And on Harmonix's blog, they confirm that they are, quote, or that they, quote, aren't planning to change the way we support any of our older games, end quote. In other words, the Harmonix, you know, is dead. But the reality is that it has been for a while now. Chris, sometimes I forget Harmonix exists, and I don't mean that as a, in a disrespectful way. It's just it's amazing that they've held on for so yeah. long. I don't understand how they've held on for so long. But this was a surprise to me. And it just shows, I guess, that Epic is dead serious about Fortnite and the sustainability of that brand. Yeah. I mean, you know, as uh, as Stained once famously said, it's been a while. Oh, man. Uh, I think... Uh... <laughs> Since I've gone and fucked things up. <laughs> yeah, I like... <laughs> oh, Aaron Lewis. Yeah. Uh, I think... Um, I don't know, man. Like, I, I immediately thought, like, I had a, as you were reading this, I think I had 
because I'm at that state now. I'm at like 25 hours into my day. Yeah, you're tired. Yeah. So like I, I had the, I had a very vivid hallucination of like a like gun hero, <laughs> like some like ridiculous rhythm game with like I can't even. And the reality of what they could make is now so much less interesting than even that stupid hallucination. So they're just going to be doing like rhythm stuff in Fortnite. What? I don't understand. What? This is so depressing. <laughs> I, I understand like Harmonix isn't like a big player necessarily anymore. And like, I'm not necessarily upset to see them absorbed by something else in the sense that like they don't they haven't really made anything that's resonated with me in a very long time the last guitar hero or like um you know rhythm kind of like peripheral based game that i ever played was guitar hero 2 on ps2 so it's been a long long time since i've cared about these types of games but i am just never a fan of of studios being bought and then absorbed like, it's one thing to buy a studio and then be like, hey, keep doing what you're doing. We'll support you. You know, like, hey, Psychonauts, we're going to buy you and you can finish those crazy boss battles. Or, hey, you know, Insomniac, we've worked together for a long time. We're going to buy you. You're going to keep doing what it is you're doing. But when it's like, hey, the Crash Bandicoot team, you want to you want to make Call of Duty Vanguard maps <laughs> or like, hey, harmonics, you want to make a fucking Fortnite thing it's like i don't know it's there's something really sad about that specifically that like i even when i don't care about the entities involved i don't care about Fortnite. i don't care much about harmonics it rubs me in a, in a very wrong way and it just to me means that we have less variety in the industry because whether harmonics is relevant or not doesn't change the fact that they they made a mark on the industry and and just to have them gone and absorbed into this cash cow is some real the thing shit <laughs> it's it is i don't know I, I when music games were trying to come back remember in 2014 2015 2016 yeah rock band four and guitar hero rock, live or something right whatever the hell it was called i wanted to believe but I think it was Guitar Hero that came out with just a really bad set list. And I, I was just like, I'm over this. I can't do this anymore. But Dustin, we're all musicians. And I, I think we all have some sort of connection to these these rock star and, and Guitar Hero games. And as I said, when I when I worked at IGN, when I first became an editor there, Rock Band and Guitar Hero were part of the culture of that company. Everyone fucking loved those games. And so I have really fond, nostalgic memories of them. But Harmonix is, we were talking about Bioware earlier, like is Harmonix really the same team anymore? They do Rock Band 4, but are we just going to see those goofy Rock Band characters in Fortnite now? It's just kind of, yeah. and did you need, and then did you really need this team to do that for you? Right. This this hurt me deeply. I actually just did, there's a, a web app thing for Xbox with their 20th anniversary where you can see what your most played games were. And my most played game on Xbox is the original rock band and this was a huge huge part of growing up in junior high and high school for me all three rock band well now there's the fourth one i never played that one but this was a huge huge aspect for me and my friends we played rock band religiously and we bought the dlc packs and we had parties and played all the time yeah and it sucks now because i would love to get rock band four now specifically for xbox just because that's where all my dlc was 
And what's really interesting to me is that they said they plan on continuing to support Rock Band 4, and you can't get the instruments for these games anymore. They are totally out of print, and people, third-party sellers, know that they're valuable, and that there is a small and apparently very dedicated fan base in the fact that they're still supporting Rock Band 4. So... The only glimmer of hope that I have is that with Epic Money, they'll issue <laughs> that for some stupid reason would put out more rock band instruments so I could <laughs> buy them. But I have very little hope in that. The The Fortnite aspect to me sounds like they've done some Fortnite concerts. They did one for Travis Scott. I mean, before all the Astro yeah, World stuff. The, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah and, then, and then he made his own battle royale. They, he did. Uh so they did that. I think they did an uh, Ariana Grande thing. And so they're probably looking at it from that perspective is that there's some kind of potential for virtual concerts and Fortnite and Harmonix has experience making music stuff. So it's sad, though. We knew that this prob- probably would happen. Fuser probably cost them a lot of money to license a lot of that. The, the songs for that game and seemed like it was a colossal flop and they haven't been doing well for years and years so they probably had to make this move if they wanted to survive in one form or another but sadly what's ultimately just going to happen is that they'll just get slowly integrated into epic and then forgotten about but yeah i'm sad we never, i'm sad we never got like weird permutations of that series you know, it was always like like Guitar Hero Aerosmith or something. It's like, where's Theremin Hero or like Ska oh, Band? Yeah. You know, like you get like a little trombone or like a trumpet or something. Remember when I think it was No Doubt that sued them because their likenesses could be used in any song or yeah, something like yeah. that? I don't know. It was, maybe it was Nirvana or something with Kurt Cobain or it, something it was like Courtney, his, It was Courtney Love. Courtney like, Love. Right, that's what yeah, it was. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I was thinking a whole. That's why I thought of No Doubt. Yeah. So. Another girl band or another girl led band, um, woman led band. But I agree. This is a there's a there's going to be a time again when these games live. I just think there enough time hasn't passed yet. And there's an yeah. island in the Pacific Ocean probably made entirely of those drum pads and <laughs> guitar wires and shit. Yeah. Like, every, like you, I, I don't know if you guys remember. Maybe it wasn't this way for you. Maybe it was just this way for me based on living in in a city and, and living around people that played a lot of games. But I remember people couldn't give that shit away. Like you were, you would, they would like stop taking them at the Goodwill. They didn't want them. They would just throw them away. Like you couldn't get rid of these drum kits and yeah. these guitars at some point. You just had to chuck them into the ocean and then you'd see And then you'd like forget about them for years. And then you see like a nature documentary and there's a, a turtle swimming around in the ocean. He's got a guitar hero controller lodged in his fucking skull. Right. And, then you, and, then you, and then you feel terrible about your side. It's yours. It's got the sticker that you put on it. It's like, ah, oh, God. He's got the blue. He's his body. His shell has went around the blue and <laughs> yeah, yeah. red and all the buttons. So yeah, he got, <laughs> he's shaped like a guitar hero control. Yeah, so you could just do some. You can shred some gnar fucking solos on him if you want. <laughs> yeah, it's just I thinking back on harmonics. It's so sad. Like this is a company that made a licensed Beatles game that was yeah. big, and I. It's sad. I I am a little embarrassed to say this, but I had very little exposure to the Beatles growing up. And so the Beatles rock band was really how I discovered them and eventually came to found them as one of my favorite bands ever. And 
man, Amplitude also was awesome. I remember playing both Amplitude and Frequency. So yeah, Amplitude is, was. Didn't they re-release Amplitude or something? There was some it. weird Kickstarter. Yeah. Back in the day for that. That's for the Sony owned IP, so that was weird. That was weird. Yeah, but we'll see. Harmonix is interesting because, like Ghost Story, who used to be irrational there in Boston, and there's just not many studios there. So right. we wish them be- we wish them well, of course. Number eight. This one's for you, Chris. You may recall that 2021's earliest notable AAA release was Hitman Three, launched only weeks into the year from publisher and developer IO Interactive. Since Hitman's revival in 2016. IO's approach has been some, some, sometimes episodic, but always with a long tail in mind, and so it should come as no surprise that Hitman 3 will be no different. The game launched with six locations and tons of content within those locations, and according to a post on IO's blog, they're going to continue into year two. The revived trilogy has surpassed a staggering 50 million players in the last five years, and Hitman 3 is the most popular of the bunch. However, details beyond this are scarce. Other than that, the major year two updates will begin rolling out in the spring. And you'll recall that Hitman 3 also received substantial year one updates in the form of the Seven Deadly Sins DLC. IO Interactive, located in Denmark and founded nearly 25 years ago, was for, was for most of its history a part of Square Enix's family of studios. Indeed, Hitman's revival was both greenlit and funded by Square Enix and published by the label before the two parted ways, with Hitman going in the deal only a year later. IO's first game, Hitman Codeman, uh, Codename 47, launched only on PC in 2000, and Hitman 2 launched in 2002, and it was his first foray in the console, especially the PlayStation 2. Other notable IO games include the EA-published 2003 third-person shooter Freedom Wars on PS2, the 2007 action shooter Kanan Lynch and its 2010 sequel, both on PS3, and 2009's Very Cute Mini Ninjas, also on PS3. I love that game. Mm -hmm. The team is currently working on an announced but incredibly mysterious 007 game, for which it is acting as both developer and publisher with the blessings of the license holder. Chris, are you pleased? I know that you're really wanting more stealth gameplay. We don't have uh, much to show for that in terms of Splinter Cell and others. Yeah. IO seems to be carrying the, the mantle here, and I'm, I'm curious if you're pleased that they will continue to support Hitman 3, and also that Hitman 3 is the most popular Hitman game, which is awesome to hear. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I love Hitman 3. I think uh, I I got a bit of a chip on my shoulders that Deathloop is a game of the year and Hitman 3 isn't. I think it's just because yeah. Hitman 3 came out too early, but I think Hitman yeah. 3 is like really, recency bias, my friend. Yeah, it is recency bias because Hitman 3 is a really, really fantastic video game. And and honestly, like we were talking about in the last episode, that Sherlock Holmes uh, game and it was like, Chapter oh, one. You, yeah, yeah. And you oh, do you like uh, it was like some question about like, mm-hmm. oh, well, do you like these kinds of like uh, detective like murder mystery games like that? And Hitman 3 has a level that is like my favorite murder mystery type setup that I've ever seen in anything. So a little annoyed that it's not uh, that it's it's not there in Deathloop is. But I'm very pleased. Like, I, I love Hitman 3. I'm happy to see it continue. Uh, any excuse I have to go back to that game is one that I will gladly take. Because it's just such a weird, a weird game that, uh, you know, people just aren't making anymore. And I'm... I'm stoked to hear this because i was a little worried when i when i heard that they were like oh we're gonna do a 007 game and i was like damn so hitman 3 is just gonna like kind of like die on the vein but I'm, I'm glad i was wrong dustin how you feel i'm excited i think specifically in the the blog or whatever they wrote that this is new maps for mm-hmm. the game which the first year of dlc while there was a lot of different content none of it was new locations so this is much more appealing to me to see that show Same. up but overall, this is definitely one of the best games this year, for sure. 
I'm very excited. I also saw that the VR version is coming to PC, which is exciting just in that the PSVR version, I couldn't really play. I tried it, but it does not support the move controllers. You have to use a normal DualShock and it just does not feel right to to line up a first person shot with a controller like that does not feel good. So I'm curious about the PC VR version just in hopes that it lets you use like an actual split controller. And then most likely I would imagine that they're going to put this on the next PSVR as well. And that will be crazy playing this game in a more realized VR version will be super fun and probably somewhere between terrifying and hilarious just because you'll be able to strangle a person in VR with a piano wire, which will be very <laughs> cool. Uh, or you can, you know, blow someone up off of uh, the side of a building, which would also be very fun in VR. Number, let's see, uh, actually not number 10, number nine. I probably should have read this earlier, but I'll just read it quickly. If you like your video game to television show adaptations, then there may be some good news for you. It appears Amazon and Electronic Arts are about to sign the contracts on a Mass Effect TV show for Amazon Studios to debut on Amazon Prime at an unknown time. Word comes by way of website Deadline, which notes in an extensive article about other Amazon offerings, including the controversial TV, TV adaptation of the Wheel of Time books, that, quote, one of Amazon's newest hopefuls in the arena is Mass Effect. Amazon Studios is nearing a deal to develop a series based on the best-selling sci-fi video game franchise from Electronic Arts, end quote. Whether anything will come of this option, however, remains to be seen. You recall that Mass Effect launched on Xbox 360 and PC well over a decade ago in 2007, and that since its origins, EA has been trying to get a film in particular off the ground. Back in 2010, Warner Brothers joined with Legendary Pictures, known for its long connection with Christopher Nolan, as well as the Jurassic World franchise and others, to develop a film which never came to fruition. Before this, we last heard official word about the film in 2012 when it gained a new writer. It's unclear what the TV show will be based upon, though it's safe to assume it could, be fo it could focus on Commander Shepard's trilogy, which ran from the original Mass Effect through Mass Effect 3, which launched on PlayStation 3 and elsewhere in 2012. The last Mass Effect game, as we mentioned earlier, was Andromeda, and it was launched a poor commercial and critical reception on PS4 in 2017. Dustin, do you want a Mass Effect TV show? Particularly, I haven't read Wheel of Time. I, I was really interested in the TV adaptation of it, though. I heard it's some real budget-looking nonsense, mm. and that people are really not happy with it when you compare it to what it was supposed to be like Game of Thrones, it's apparently making people very nervous about the Lord of the Rings stuff that they're doing. And right. I think people are looking at like the only high end uh, sci-fi level piece that you do that they're doing right now is the expanse, which is excellent. So that to me makes me a little optimistic that maybe they know what they're doing. But uh, what do you think about this? I think it's way too late for uh, a yeah. Mass Effect <laughs> TV show. Yeah. And it's sad because it has every element that people loved about Game of Thrones. It's got lots of boning in it. It's got political action. It's got real action. It's got apocalyptic threats. It has all the major tenets that made Game of Thrones very popular, but it's just simply too late. And like you said, Colin, I don't know if Amazon is the right studio to do this just because... Not that everything that Amazon has done has been bad. They've had some good stuff, but in comparison to the other streaming services, they're they're clearly behind, in my opinion. So I don't know if they do it. I I don't know if I'd want it to follow Commander Shepard. Maybe that's the way to to go to do it safe. But then at the same time, it's 
we keep seeing these series that just do what another medium already did. Right now, everyone's talking about Cowboy Bebop, and <laughs> that's not good. It's like, why did you even try to translate it? You should have just done not done it at all. And so that's probably going to be the case with this. And it's disappointing. But again, they should have striked when the iron was hot 10 years ago or yeah. maybe even more than that. And they, they did. You're absolutely right. And, and they, they were trying, as they know, they just couldn't get it off the ground. Pardon the pun, I guess. Chris, I, I feel like there's something there's some potential here if they do Shepard or they do something else that I think could be exciting, though. We know that Netflix, Amazon Prime's rival, has been experimenting. First of all, now they're in games completely, but they experimented a lot with even just choose your own adventure type stuff with Bandersnatch and others. Mm -hmm. You can imagine an Amazon TV show for Mass Effect where people can make decisions in it. And that would be kind of cool. Like I don't know if they would really do something like that. That's what Bandersnatch was. Yeah. Make decision, make decision, make decision, make decision, and and the way you want. I don't know how you would do it over like a six or ten episode arc or something like that, but that maybe that maybe they're planning on doing something like that. And that I think could make it stand out as something worth doing. Maybe. But but at that point, like why not just play the game, you know? Like if you're gonna give people the option to like make choices in a TV show based on a video game, like why not? I don't know. It seems a bit redundant to me. Like Bandersnatch was interesting because it was it was allowing you to. And by the way, I don't even think Bandersnatch was particularly good or interesting. No, it's not good. It's but not like, good. It was just an it was just an idea. An idea. It that was I a novel idea. It was like yeah. it was, it was kind of like back in the day when um, uh, YouTube had those annotations, and you yeah. had, they, they were people making like a choose your own kind of adventure videos. Like, I remember those were kind of cool. It was like oh, this is neat. Like a bunch of because it was just like content creators doing like weird shit, and it was just like oh, that's cool. It's like interesting. It's it's not. Game of Thrones or like, you know, uh, anything crazy, but it's like a neat novel little idea. But I just questioned the redundancy of it because Bandersnatch was was so interesting in concept because it was a TV show that was allowing you to make choices. But a TV show based on a, a game where you make choices that allows you to make choices. I can't imagine that being better than the game especially when you're talking about mass effect which is a you know a pretty revered trilogy and one that holds up pretty well by the way like i've, I've been playing a little bit of uh the legendary edition i've been playing through mass effect one a little bit and i i like it a lot i i think it still is very fun to play so i just question what you would really do with it i, I think the safest route to go would be just a TV show about the universe, like maybe like an anthology series or like even something I would I would say something animated, because I think that is where video games really shine is in animation. I think Castlevania is fantastic. I've been hearing really good things about Arcane as well, although I haven't seen it because I don't really know anything about League of Legends. But that is the medium that is very clearly where video games are meant to go if they're going to do transmedia stuff. Like, even as far back as, like, when they were doing, like, the Halo animated stuff, it was like, that was, like, way cooler than the live-action garbage that they put out later. And I, I just feel like that's the proper way to go. And, and the the best example of live-action uh, video game t television we have is The Witcher, which I still feel like would have been a lot better if it was animated. So it's it's just, like, this weird kind of situation where I just feel like... There's too much redundancy. I don't know why they're doing this. It's too late. Like, way, 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 way too late for this. Um, it would be like if they made a Bioshock movie. You know? And it'd be like, it's like, it's been, what, 
15 years or something. Like, it's been yeah. a, a very, very long time. I don't know about it. Fair enough. I am uh, of the mind that this will never come to fruition anyway. So. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Number 11 is a wrap up. We remember we skipped number 10 earlier because we read it. Website Komatsu reports adventure game ever forward comes to PS4 and PS5 on December 7th. Crafting centric game Witchwood with a Y instead of an I comes to PS4 and PS5 on December 9th. Old school inspired Asteroids Recharge comes to PS4 and PS5 on December 14th. Puzzle platformer Unbound Worlds Apart comes to PS4 and PS5 on February 9th, 2022. Compilation Pac-Man Museum Plus comes to PS4 only at an undetermined point in 2022. And Roguelite Gunfire Reborn comes to PS4 and PS5 at an unknown point in 2022. The website also reports adventure game Martha is dead on PS4 and PS5 has been delayed and will now launch on February 24th, 2022. While so-called Rhythm FPS Metal Hellsinger has also been delayed coming to PS5 at an undetermined point in 2022. Uh, its PlayStation 4 iteration has been canceled. Website Push Square reports FPS Terminator Resistance on PS5 is getting DLC called Annihilation Line on December 10th, and it won't be available to purchase for the PS4 version. The website also reports that FPS Serious Sam 4, once a Stadia exclusive launch in 2020, has been officially rated for launch on PS4 in the UK and on PS5 in Germany, though a release date is still unknown. Push Square reports action RPG The Messia comes to PlayStation 5 at an unknown point in 2022. And finally... Yacht Club Games has revealed Shovel Knight spinoff Pocket Dungeon comes to PlayStation 4 on December 13th. I can't wait to play that game. I actually uh, emailed them to congratulate them on going gold today. They're publishing it. Obviously, they're not developing it, but we'll be good to see Shovel Knight back in the mix as we wait for the next mainline game. And boys, as we always do at the end of Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, we end with six questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas from the audience on Patreon at patreon.com slash Media. Please do support us over there. We couldn't do any of this without you. And we'll start with Edwin Castillo, who wrote in and said, hello, come boys. It's always mentioned whenever a console has the specific advertising rights for a certain game, whether it's Call of Duty currently with PlayStation or when Cyberpunk was aligned with Xbox. My question is this. Does it really work? Are there a number of people out there who will assume that if the advertising has a console stinger at the end of the commercial that they can only get it from there? Has there been any data or research showing that when a manufacturer has the advertising rights for a game, the game tends to sell better on that platform? I wanted to read this one out, Edwin, because... It's an interesting inquiry, and I think the evidence that it works is that they keep doing it. Yeah. Microsoft and Sony kept falling all over themselves trying to sign Call of Duty for many years. Xbox had them for a long time. Now PlayStation has them. And we were talking last week or two weeks ago about how what's going on with Activision complicates that relationship mightily because I'm sure PlayStation is very happy to support the marketing for Call of Duty. And basically the way these deals typically work, for instance, Back for Blood had a lot has a lot of, or it did not anymore had a lot of commercials for game pass and there was no mention of playstation call of duty has a lot of commercials for vanguard no mention of xbox the way this typically works is that in return for marketing the game activision in the case of call of duty will not pay for the marketing will not have to pay for the marketing cost for this sony pays for the commercial airs the commercial and they're allowed to put their they're allowed to relate their console to it and it works for both sides it's typically the way the deal works. It's not always the way it works. But uh, Dustin, have you ever been fooled into thinking a game has not been on a console that it actually was on? Because I imagine watching this stuff, trying to go into it blind. I watch football every Sunday and there's plenty of gaming commercials. There really is no inclination that Back for Blood is on PlayStation at all in that commercial. There is no inclination that Call of Duty is on Xbox at all. Now, you might not know better, but you might not know better. And I feel like that is also part of the intent. Yeah, I've never been tricked in that I bought a game just because I'm obsessive and will look at like which platform 
it does better on, which hasn't been as much of a case from a technical aspect. Um, that hasn't been as noticeable this generation so far, but I would imagine that it has a huge influence on on it. And like you said, Colin, because they keep doing it shows that I would imagine that it it works in some way. I mean, and this isn't a diss at GameStop employees, but sometimes I've asked for a game uh, for a, like a, a game that was clearly a PlayStation game, and they'll ask me which platform. So sometimes even employees of what game do you stores, say when they ask you that? Uh, I I'm nice. I'll just say PlayStation, though that hasn't happened in years. It happened one time for me. You're not like idiot. Yeah. <laughs> um. Actually. Uh, actually, yeah. So. I would imagine that many people see the ad and then just go to Target or GameStop and maybe at the store they'll realize they'll get offered on multiple platforms or something. But I'm surely the the pre intent to go to a store and buy it on a platform has at least some influence, even if then later, you know, they decide to get a different platform. But these deals are always interesting for sure i uh i'm curious always how much money is exchanged surely it depends on the game like call of duty is going to be way different than than back for blood but surely it's very lucrative tyler kidder wrote into us and said what up boys last week colin said that the games industry did great during the recession you can also say games were great during the covid lockdowns and or, or were doing great i'm sorry during covid lockdowns and still are doing great they're starting to adjust back down a little bit now what do you think is the reason games do great when everything else seems to go bad? We'd love to hear your thoughts. Chris, what do you think about this? I mean, I, to me, I think this is obvious, but I'm curious what your take is on this. I don't think there's any right or wrong answer per se, but to me, this has a lot to do with limited amounts of money, long use of a game and escapism. And um, I don't know if it's any more complicated than that, but I'm curious what you yeah. think. I think it is. I think it is that simple. But also, you know, the recession and the lockdowns both have something in common, which are a lot of people probably spent a lot of time at home, you know, because they didn't have work, you know, and, and uh, you know, they <laughs> they were quarantined. I would imagine that that's probably like the main reason. Like, I, I wouldn't say like games do well when everything else seems to go bad, you know. I think that's like a really simplified way of looking at it. I just think like there are certain things that happen that tend to uh, coincide with behavior that benefits the games industry, which is, you know, there's no question that the COVID lockdowns were great for the for the industry because now a lot of people had a lot of free time. They were home all the time and, and they had to entertain themselves. And like, what are you going to you're going to watch the same you gonna watch the office again you know, like, what are you gonna do? Like, they had there's this whole medium that's available to you, and I think it led to a lot of people kind of exploring games that probably otherwise wouldn't have. And maybe I think now some people have probably like fallen off it. You know, now that things have gotten a little bit more back to normal, I'm sure some people have stayed, but I'm sure a lot of people have left as well. And I, I really do think it's that simple. I don't know if it's any comp more complicated than that. Yeah, I would agree with you. And I'll also just say that. This it's not only true for games, but rather I just think for all forms of what you might call vice or distraction. Yeah. You know who loves recessions? Liquor companies, casinos and and places, maybe not casinos, but gambling. Certainly, if you do, you know, more black and gray area gambling and all of that. Yeah. People need distractions. They get caught up and things readjust after a while. But it's really that straightforward. I think Peter Grice wrote into us and said, hello, gentlemen. 
All this scalper talk has me doing the math and wondering, is it even worth it? Let's say you sell a unit on eBay for $750. After the 14% eBay PayPal cut, that's $645. Now, you have to ship it and shipping prices are insane these days, so let's average that at $25 to $30 on your dime. Most states have a sales tax, so you're paying roughly $540 for the unit and clearing less than $100 profit. Maybe I've personally lost sight of the value of the dollar, but this seems like a more of a hassle than it's worth. Thoughts? Love the show. I usually listen while I manage an Amazon warehouse on Long Island. Very good, Peter. Thank you for writing in. You know how to touch my heart. Now, Dustin, let's go back to you. This is something I've thought about. And I really do think that this is a matter of, I guess, like your financial situation, your financial stability, but also your tolerance for monotony and your sheer laziness as well. Yeah. Right. He's he's well, I'm sorry. What happened? I was just saying, right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. And so. With. This particular console, he's saying like less than $100 profit. And I'm like, that's kind of true. In fact, your time is probably better spent going and working for eight hours. You'll make more than $100 almost certainly. So. Is it worth it to do this? Do you think doesn't I think his numbers are a bit off. Let me yeah. I'm hopping between eBay and the the notes. So he said, let's say you sell a unit on eBay for seven fifty. Right now that's a, a little low because right now all the sold listings I'm seeing, and I'm guessing these are going up because people are starting to feel a little panicky for mm. Christmas. I'm seeing most of them at eight hundred to eight fifty. Okay. And the other important thing is that not all of these are free shipping. In fact, about half of them or more now i'm scrolling definitely most of them shipping is not included in that price there's a 30 to 40 dollar anywhere between what i'm seeing here is 20 and 50 dollars an additional expense on top of that in order to just ship it so i think that he's on to something in that in certain eras of this shortage it definitely was much less lucrative but in particular, right now, I'm guessing you'll probably clear anywhere between 100 and 300 ish. I'm not going to do the math on the fly, but it would be more than a hundred dollars for sure. Which, Fair if enough. you've got a few of them, I mean, or, yeah, or if you're, you're if you're a scalper using a bot and you have 12 of them sitting in your house and you sell all of those and you make 150 each, then you're, yeah, it's a nice chunk of change. Yeah, I think a hundred dollars is a nice chunk of change too, but. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. Chris, we've never really considered this from the, the, the scalper's point of view. Do you think it's worth it from their perspective? Especially because I don't know that I mean, we see some of these pictures or we did, especially when the console came out of people with like 40 PS5s and somehow they they got them all. But I don't think that people are getting this massive amount of consoles and flipping them on mass anymore. I just don't know how that would no. even be possible. So I just feel like this is kind of peripheral money making, which is fine, but it just does seem to be a lot of drama. Yeah, I, I think you have to be a special kind of insane to even want to do this kind of thing in the first place. You know, like, I, I, I don't know, like I I've like we were talking about earlier, like I have a very low tolerance for tedium, you know, like I, I cannot sit there and click for hours like refresh, 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 buy, buy, refresh, refresh, oh, page crash, refresh, refresh, just for the chance at maybe like a one hundred dollar, maybe a little bit over profit, you know, like even like two hundred like to me, it's like. And, but at the same time, it's like I'm also aware that I have a very different financial situation than a lot of people. You know, like I don't I could stream and like make that money you know, like it's 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 a, so I, I don't know if it's like 
I don't know if I can really understand the perspective of somebody who would uh, go out and scalp because I just don't live in that. I don't have that reality. But even I will say, though, like even when I was like fucking destitute, there was no way in hell I was going to spend my time scalping, <laughs> scalping consoles. You know, I, I, I was probably just uh, spend my time like going out trying to find like actual work, you know? Yeah, that's the uh, yeah, that's the point is like just you can. I, I feel like there is a contingent of people that do this that do it for the game like they like it. Oh, sure. They like yeah. doing it. And I think that there are other people that just use it as a supplemental form of income, which is fine, I guess. But yeah, I don't have the patience for it either. And I also feel a little dirty about it. Like I, I haven't had many things that people would buy. I have some things that are not for sale that people would buy for a lot of money, but things like tickets and, and consoles and whatever. But I remember having these Dave Matthews tickets a few years ago and I had to sell them because I couldn't go to the show in San Francisco. And uh, I went on on a Craigslist and these people found me and they were really surprised that I wasn't like jacking the price up. And I'm like, I don't care. I just wanted my money back. So I think it's also about the way you kind of look at it yourself. And I wasn't really trying to like make a profit off of someone. I just wanted to go to a concert. Yeah. All right. Chris Murray wrote into us and said, Oi, I'm currently in space technical training for the United States Space Force and happily and happy to have sacred symbols keeping me up to date with all things PlayStation during my busy schedule. That being said, sticking to the theme, what space based game is your favorite and why? Mine would have to be Knights of the Old Republic. Speaking of Bioware, just capturing not only what came before the original trilogy as we know it, but expanding what the rest of the universe was really helped build out the Star Wars world as I knew it, uh, while still keeping true to the form of the great soundtrack. Eagerly awaiting the remake. Cheers, gents. We all are. It's coming to PlayStation 5, as we know. This is an easy answer for me, Dustin. I, I would say Dead Space is my answer. I would give a special shout out. I'd have to think of other games because I'm sure I'm not thinking of everything, but I do have to give a special shout out to Tacoma, which I think is a very underrated adventure game, like a walking simulator from Fulbright, the guys that did Gone Home, their game after Gone Home that takes place in a space station. And I really like that game a lot. I, I feel like a lot of people don't talk about that game. I don't quite know why. So I want to give that game a little tip of my cap, too. But I would have to say Dead Space. What, what answer would it be for you? I feel like Chris and I are going to have the same type of answers because oh, instantly yeah. i think of destiny right. to go into the different planets and but maybe halo would be the answer for chris yeah halo. that's the, well that's the other one i was going to bring up of course is is yeah. halo I'm, I'm, not, on, I'm not even going to answer the question because it's obvious you know what i mean like i <laughs> yeah you know who i am i always man space is cool i like games that that do the space stuff i guess the question is uh i was trying to think of a Very good way to say that they do the space stuff that like um like <laughs> destiny is cool uh, it feels like a space game you have a ship but i always associate like i want to fly around in a ship and i've always been disappointed in destiny in that you can't fly to each planet which it totally is unnecessary but i've always thought like man i want to get in a ship and fly around like No Man's Sky or something. Yeah, that's also another great space game. I, I always, I always thought, even with early Destiny, I was like, man, it would be so cool if they took the tech from No Man's Sky and just like the the flying to different planets and landing, right? And made it so like when you landed, you were playing Destiny. Like that game would be awesome, I think. Right. And and we don't have it, and we probably never will, but. Those games, if those games were to be like married together, that would be like a really special thing, I think. Right. The The reason for my momentary, just complete brain fart about space games doing space stuff is that I was thinking of games that are very legitimate space games, like Elite Dangerous, yeah, Star yeah. Citizen, e 
Eve Online, Eve, stuff Eve like Eve that. Online. <laughs> Those are space games that do space stuff. Halo is a game that takes place on a, a ring in space, but I don't I don't know. Is that considered a, a space game or I, you, you I, know I feel what I mean? like yeah I, I don't know what he means by space game I guess like when I see when I hear space game I kind of think sci-fi like I think Mass Effect sure. is certainly a space game you know oh, like yeah. I, I and uh you know Dead Space doesn't it, I mean it takes place on a ship you know but th- so it's not technically it's in Okay, I just realized you you could really break this down. It's like Grand Theft Auto was a space game because Earth is in space, but (laughs) but so you could get really like granular and and real uh, facetious with that. But I don't know. I I always just look at it as like a setting, like as in not Mm. not a terrestrial setting. Because my original answer was in my mind was like, oh, resistance, but you're fighting aliens, but they're on Earth, so that's not a space game. It's a sci-fi game. Mm. Yeah, but yeah. It's not you. You you never go. I mean, I, I, that was their intention was to one day show you the Chimera and home planet, but they never got a chance to do so. Yeah. So I yeah. I would say Halo is mine. Like you you go to space. Yeah. You go to space pretty regularly, from what I can recall. So you're doing space stuff. Yeah. Doing that space stuff. <laughs> doing space doing stuff. Space. That that cool. That <laughs> space stuff. That's just so cool. Yeah. <laughs> Tim. <laughs> Timothy Martin wrote in and said, hey, guys, let's talk about Battlefield 2042. As a longtime diehard fan of the series, in my opinion, this iteration's release has been absolutely terrible. The list of features in previous Battlefields removed from 2042 is long and bugs are rampant. It is currently one of the worst reviewed games on Steam of all time. What can DICE do to bounce back at this critical point to avoid a cyberpunk repeat? Or is it too late? Got a little burp coming there. I will note that it is fair to say that Steam on Steam 2042 is both the, one of the worst reviewed games and also had a massive concurrent player base. So unclear what, how it's really panning out. But um, Dustin, I wanted to throw this one to you too first because I'm not really quite understanding. I know you guys will have more insight to this than I do, which is why I wanted to bring this up. What's happening with this game, this uh, Battlefield 2042? To my understanding, it is buggy. I, the stuff I've seen is not on the, the level of a cyberpunk, but... I feel like the biggest problem, and maybe Chris, you know more than I do, even is just that it doesn't. It's lacking in features and and gameplay options, and that's mm-hmm. the biggest problem. Is that people are enjoying the moment to moment gameplay, even with the bugs, but there's just simply not enough to the package that they were told that it would be multiplayer only, and they needed to spend all those resources on multiplayer only, make it this full fledged feature set and now it's it's simply not is chris is that what you're finding as well yeah i i would say um that's mostly accurate i i i would say some of the stuff that i've seen man it, it does seem cyberpunk style like there, there's some design there's some design decisions that i don't agree with i i i don't like as battlefield has gone on the importance of classes has deteriorated i i really don't like that design decision i i I hate it i i noticed this in battlefield 5 specifically when because i always loved playing the medic i always loved going around and like making sure like seeing oh there's like a downed uh ally here like get my syringe out like heal him up uh throw health packs on the field like i really liked that experience i don't know like it was something like really fun about that because you felt like you were actually making a difference on your team even though in a first-person shooter, like, one of the first things you'd want to do is, like, you'd want to go out and run and gun. And you can you could still do that reasonably effectively while still being, like, a major asset to your team in a way that only you could be because you were the medic. 
And then in Battlefield 5, they did this thing where, well, now everybody in your squad can heal you. And so you can still be the medic, and, and it'll, like, heal people faster, but you're no longer an integral part of the formula. So, like, why the fuck would you ever be the medic who has weaker weapons if you're not integral to the team? It, it like, completely throws the entire purpose of Battlefield, which is class-based combat, out the window. And that's, like, the whole reason I played Battlefield. Battlefield 1 was, like, a really great game. Like, Battlefield 1 is superb, I think, as a first-person shooter, especially as a multiplayer first-person shooter. And not just because of its interesting, weird World War I setting, but because it just, like, it was the last Battlefield game that we had that truly had that mix of, like, arcade fun and speed with that importance of class-based matchmaking, where your class mattered. And in this one, you have these specialists that you can choose. And yeah, you could be the medic specialist, but you could also just pick whatever the hell gun you want and whatever the hell abilities you want and whatever the hell just defeats the purpose of this. Everybody's just running off and doing their own thing now. It's not a class-based game or a team-based game like it used to be. So that bothers me from a design perspective from what little I played. I played like a preview event for like a like a couple rounds so like i don't have that much experience with it but that was something that stuck out to me but some of the stuff i've seen man i know it can be a little misleading when you see video games compiling bugs because what you're seeing is you know maybe the two percent of the time for each individual player taking up 100 percent of a video so it could be misleading in that way, and I totally understand that. But some of the stuff I've seen, man, like there's a, a donkey video out <laughs> right yeah, now. Yeah, I saw that. And it's it's wild. Uh, like just textures, not only people falling through the earth, like people driving boats up buildings. And it's just like it's 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 so broken. And I don't think I necessarily would have even noticed had I not been spending uh, some time with its direct com- competition in Halo Infinite, and even in Call of Duty Vanguard, which, like, Call of Duty Vanguard's not fantastic, but it's definitely not broken in this way. And Halo Infinite has, like, a lot of progression problems and a lot of, like, uh, you know, customization issues. But, like, both of those games function, by and large, way, 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 way more reliably than Battlefield 2042. To the point where if you look up clips of these games online, chances are what you're going to see of Call of Duty is like you're going to see the same game you've always seen. But like maybe people have like people talking about it, you know, like, ah, this is OK. Ah, this is great. Whatever. What you're going to see with Halo is a bunch of crazy plays that people are doing, like people being like really excited about it. And what you're going to see with Battlefield is all of these game breaking moments and just this overwhelming consensus that this needed more time and if they had just delayed it, you probably would have gotten a Battlefield game that, while not to my tastes in the sense that it's abandoning all these class systems, would have at least been functional for the majority of players. But as of right now, it's a very unstable mess. Very disappointing, because I was looking forward to it. It looked really cool. And I guess it goes to show you that, like, I mean, you can't buy into the hype. You know, you gotta, you, you really gotta wait for these things to to hit the mainstream and and i'm thankful that i got the chance to to at least play these things beforehand so i knew and i I could make an informed decision on what to go for but not everybody got the chance to play battlefield battlefield was a closed environment and even when it was an open environment it was a very restricted open environment so 
Very weird. But yeah, we'll see if they can remedy this. Yeah. Uh, at EA and Dice, I think that they will, but I think it'll take time into the point by the point they the time they I have no doubt that they'll fix it, but it will will it matter is the bigger question. It's just too much competition. First first impressions are everything, man. You can't fuck around in this. I, I don't know why these publishers don't understand you cannot fuck around anymore with this. You just can't. There's too much competition. If you don't get a person, it's like what we were talking about the eFootball. Like you, you could have done it. Everyone was interested. You had them captive and you messed it up. Yeah. And what's worse is that Battlefield 2042 isn't free. Yeah, that's it. That's the, <laughs> that's a whole other aspect. They're charging $70 yeah. for this on uh, next gen machines. And, uh, you know, it, it makes literally every other piece of the competition more enticing. You know, like literally like even Call of Duty. I would recommend beyond over. Yeah, over, of course. I mean, of course you would. They're the same price. And one Call of Duty always works. Yeah. Say what you will. I've been watching Micah play Call of Duty extensively. I've not seen any problems. Yeah, it works. And it's got a campaign that people are like, you know, mixed on, but it's there. Right. It's, it's, you know, it exists as opposed to Battlefield where it just doesn't. And Halo's free. God, the poor PlayStation user base that has to choose between Call of Duty and <laughs> Battlefield. I feel so sad because like the best shooter this year is objectively just not on their platform. And that, that kind of that really sucks. The key. uh team member that was responsible for this year's call of duty of course was 1-800 allcock <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> john apocalypse has the final inquiry for us he says hello covenant colin carbine chris and dmr dustin recently an employee at 343 named laura taylor said on twitter that her name was not featured in the credits of halo infinite despite doing over 300 sound effects for the game so my question is why are credit omissions so common in video games this is an issue I have seen multiple times in the games industry, with the most infamous being L.A. Noir. Mm-hmm. Considering there are games with thousands of Kickstarter backer names in them, it should be nothing to credit your entire staff. So the one thing I'll say about this, and I don't know if you have any insight into this, either of you, but before I give my opinion is, is it possible that Laura Taylor's name's not in the credits because she worked on the part of the game that's not out yet? How does she know her name's not in the credits? I know that multiplayer must have credits, but is it possible that she would be in the credits of the final game? That's one thing I would maybe she knows maybe because maybe she has access to the final game because she worked on it. I don't know. But I will say this. You brought up John L.A. Noir. I'll bring up another example. Red Dead Redemption 2. A lot of people missing from that. Uh, those credits as well. And Rockstar released their own rules about how they view people in their credits, which I think was something like you have to be here 30 percent of the time or something for 30 percent of the 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 saga people come and go but it's a big deal to not have your name in these games if you're putting them on your cv and there must be more balance and i'll just say not that i'm a big fan of unionization but unionization would solve this particular problem um because one big thing sag after and all the other organizations do from your grips and your audio tech and movies and tv shows and everything it's a very specific rule set about how you're paid and how you work and how you're credited and I think that this problem would be ameliorated with some sort of some sort of compact. And it's funny, John, that you use the word covenant with me. I know that's a halo reference, but there should be some sort of covenant between all publishers or at least as many as possible saying like, this is how we credit people. This is how we because even there is even a specialized way in, in film. I know for a fact and music too. people are called very specific things. But if you go in Moby Games, as I mentioned earlier, sometimes it's directed by director directed you know uh co-director or whatever there's just no there's not even a common way like even in the way i've been credited sometimes i've been credited as written by or writer or whatever so we don't even we don't even know i I, so i i I wanted to end with that i don't know if you guys have uh, dustin do you have anything you want to say about this so 
I quickly searched and found this tweet, and John had a little bit of uh, some misinformation here. Well, Laura Taylor is, is not a 343 employee. She references, says, the omission wasn't intentional. It's just an oversight by my client, not Microsoft. So please don't yell at them. Becky and the 343 audio team are badass. So she's a contractor that was hired to make sounds for Halo Infinite. Now, this still brings up an entire conversation of should people that are contract workers be credited in things that they are hired on for? When I worked, if that's in, in your contract, right, right. Like there's award winning projects that I was a part of that I'm not credited. They're not big, but there's plenty of stuff in when I was working in production that I've not been credited for because we were hired as, you know, a production house to do stuff for that. And so it's still a problem. And I agree with everything you said, Colin, that this does happen for actual employees or people that have left the company. And I don't think that's appropriate, but I just wanted to make sure it was clear that the situation with Laura Taylor seems to be a, a bit different since she was hired as a, a contractor. Also, it says that her name has been added to the Halo Waypoint credits, but it can't and won't be added to the game itself, at least according to her. No, that might that might be... It's interesting. Thank you for that extra information, John. Yep. Um, <laughs> but I think it, it brings in some extra texture in the sense that should people, should contractors be credited... And the answer is just whatever the agreement might be there. I, we've talked over and over again. There are studios in this industry that have worked on massive games and you have no idea who they are. No idea. It's not even important. They don't care. There are studios that exist simply to make other studios look good. That is why they exist. Not all of them. But some studios come in and say, like, we'll do the assets. We'll do this. We'll do that. And you know, we don't have to get credit for it. We don't want credit for it. A lot of that stuff is foreign. And then there are other games that are built by lots of different teams or at least worked on by lots of different teams in which everyone is credited. And that's the way I would do it. Personally, if I were, I have no problem putting people in the credits. I think that that's a cool thing. I remember seeing my name in a video game credit for the first time just in the thank you. And I was like, that's so cool. You know, yeah. and uh, it's literally the least you could do. Right. Like, no, like, I, agree. I, 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 I It's a, it's so easy to add a name to credits that it's it's not even I almost find I almost find it insulting. You can patch it. It's not a big deal. You can patch it. Yeah, I, I almost find it insulting that it's it's treated as something that is is like this thing that's like oh you need to be here for like a certain percentage of time it's like now in, in my opinion if you make an impact on a game then you like in in a, in, a, in a proper production capacity or anything if, if you are a contractor or if you are a freelancer or whatever i think you should be credited like that's just my opinion like will it will it will that mean really bloated super long credits yeah probably in all likelihood but like i i don't is that a pro are you are you watching the just credits skip them yeah. yeah, like nobody watches the fucking credits. Nobody does that. And even even the people who sit through the credits at, uh, for like you know Marvel movies, they're usually just talking about the movie. You know, like waiting Wait, for the waiting credits. for the scene. Like it's yeah. not it's not about, it's just a matter of just like respecting the people who who have who have come on your team to help you, and, and just sort of like so they can have that feeling of just like knowing that they contributed to something and that their work was acknowledged. And I I just I don't know that would be my basic way of going about it and i get it's not nu nuanced and there's like all these rules but i say like fuck the rules if you contributed to the game you contributed to the game and you should be credited yeah i i thought the first time i ever saw my name in the, in the credits for a game was in guacamelee and that was i was in special thanks for that and 
I asked why, and they were like, "We, you were the." And I've said this story on the show before, so I don't mean to be redundant, but they're like, "You're the one who convinced us to move the game off the sticks and bring it to the D-pad." And I was like, "That's really thoughtful. Thank you." Yeah, you know, I thought that that was really cool. Like, I just made one little decision for them that ended up being pretty important, and they thought it was important enough that they credited me for it. And I just thought that was classy. And we do that for our games on Lily Mo, like people that um, Dustin. I think you're in the credits of Herboxia yeah. too, right? Chris, you're obviously in them. I had like two suggestions. <laughs> right. And, but you also yeah. play tested the game. And right. yeah, like we, we, it's like, and for most of our people, that's going to be a pretty cool thing to see yeah. their name in the credits. Like, even though our game sold 15,000 copies or whatever, like it's out there. So yeah. Uh, John, thank you for writing in, even though your information was completely incomplete and you're in, you're in jail now for a little while. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> Chris, do you, uh, it's, it's over now. That's, that's all we have for sacred symbols. Do you have any closing comments? Uh, I don't know, man. I'm feeling kind of okay. Mm. Which you is, should just push through and, and see if you can I, go I think that way I, you sleep a normal, you know, normal time. Yeah, that, I think that's what I'm going to try and do. I'm going to maybe like try and like stream for like oh, a yeah. couple hours and then maybe go to sleep at like nine or something. Yeah. Like something, yeah. some like crazy early hour so I can get up early the next day and like be on like a normal schedule. I've been meaning to try and get myself on a normal schedule for a while, but uh, it's, it's, I don't know. My mind Sorry. races at night, man. Oh, mine too. That's why I have to knock myself out with pharmaceuticals. <laughs> Dustin, closing comments. My only closing comment, I know it will already, Thanksgiving will have come and gone, but I'm I'm prepared to make a delicious, juicy turkey. And uh, it's, it's just going to be a nice time. And so, oh, also I wanted to mention, I saw Death's Door is out on PS5 today. Mm-hmm, I yeah. think I'm going to check it out. Oh, yeah, that's the new game from the uh, guys that did uh, Titan yeah. Souls, right? Yeah. It seems like it's... Qu- I mean, we knew that this was the date, but I don't see a lot of people mentioning it. I think the PlayStation blog put out something. But just as a PSA, it's supposed to be very good. The I don't PlayStation know. PlayStation blog's so bad. Yeah. <laughs> it really <laughs> yeah. is. It's terrible. I think it was on PlayStation blog. Anyway, no, I'm excited to check it out, and I know a lot of our audience was talking about it, so PSA. Yeah. Um, my closing comment, nothing really other than I... I figured this out earlier but i wanted to share it with you now we were talking about drilling our try child as <laughs> mm. we'll call it <laughs> i came up with another one we could all i, I think we'll stay with drilling but it could also be named crustin <laughs> oh <my> <laughs> <God>. <laughs> do you like that better we'll let the audience decide so yeah drilling drilling and crustin <laughs> wow that's, that's right that's right no, no choosing that is a heinous oh my god Crustin and drilling. I would bully that that kid so hard. Oh, definitely, definitely. definitely. This is my friend yeah. Crustin. <laughs> Oof. Wow, Oof, all right, my boys. Well, I appreciate you guys, and I appreciate all of you out there for your love, kindness, and support of all things Sacred Symbols and Last Stand Media. Remember, support us on Patreon, Patreon.com/slash/LastStandMedia. Merch, LastStandMedia.shop. Leave us nice reviews on iTunes and other podcast services. Come follow us on YouTube and let us know you're there. Of course, one of the major perks on Patreon that I rarely state for some reason is our Discord server, where more than uh, 3,700 of you are are hanging out right now. So thank you for that. We love having you over there. Come join us as well. Connect your account to Patreon, and we'll see you there. Until next time, goodbye. See ya. Take care, guys. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a product and trademark of Last Stand Media and Collins Last Stand LLC and is proudly recorded in the USA. The show is conceived by, is written by, and is directed by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-hosts are Chris Raygun Maldonado and Dustin Furman. The show is produced by executive producer Dustin Furman. 
It's edited by associate producer Ben Smith. All of Last Stand's theme music is by my best friend, Ramon Narvaez. As you know, all of Last Stand's shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash laststandmedia. The following names are at the producer level on Patreon, our highest tier, and we're grateful for your thoughtful and kind contributions to our independent endeavor. Thank you. Andrew Morgan, Stephen Nieder, Ross Marenka, Miguel A. Brewer, Morgan Ashley, Azan, Michael Vecchio, Jerome Ferreira, SLVFMA, Jorge Palomino, Daniel D'Amour, Brad Cooley, Jeremy Key, Patrick Leslie, Dave Cowell, Tom Quinn, Sorta Serious Gaming, Unofficial Controller Podcast, Colin Farley, Mark Arnold, Zia Parix, Henry Groth, Joshua Rids, Relentless Rex, Troy Miller, Meyer Katz, Jordan Mittman, J.A. Zhu, Tristan Palacios, Drew Mullen, Christian R., Jad Rita, Kurt M. Gillenberg, Patrick Skipper, Sweaty Mitt, Chris Kelly, Dustin Graff, Peyton Stone, Roberto, Josh Alan Rui, Tyler Watkins, Troilus True, Dan Root, Talisman, Christopher, Randall Holsey, Robbie Nauman, Nuke Dukem, Jim Bob 56, William Holbert, Landon Pipkin, Dr. Stump, Josh Godfrey, Kalike Souza, Vornak, Betty Ann Moriarty, Daniel Johnson, H Trons, Ethan Davies, Jay Getter, Manuel Ochoa, Bjorn Campbell, Jeff Mercado, Gregory Silvinsky, Galja of Fortuna, Boots, Tyler Brown, Poot, Gavin Newland, Saul Balcazar, Zach Parsley, Brian White, Raul Melendez, Eric Harden, Alex Bolton, Matt Martin, Kinnams, Joseph Baker, Rodney Coleman, Chris Moore, Caswell, Anti Kinnanen, Chris, Will Hernandez, Chris. Galvin, Justin Gonzalez, Mason Cadillac, Ollie Fritz, Zach Allum, George Anthony Nunez, Kyle Hagel, Christopher, Colin Love, Daryl E. Naiman, Ryan R. Kittredge, Toby Ryland, Michael S., David Bostick, Stewie 108, Patrick Montgomery, Damon W., Tom Cargill, Richter 86, Steve Hodge, Holfeldian, Ian Bravo, Barrett Boswell, Christopher DeVaio, Chris Morton, Kevin Komaki, Johnny Waffles, Roto 24, Jonathan Coach, Sean Mason, Josh Gravelick, Jordan Town, Brian Chand, Organic Produce, Shane St. Pierre, Carlos Algorit, Richard Hebert III, Miranda Grubba, Josh Yeager, Martin Beck, Gavin, Joey Andrzejczyk, Nathan R, Joe McPartland, Gary Cavallo, Christopher Moore, Jacob Bell, Joey Rawlings, Dennis Usel, Eric Finkenbeiner, Lou and Ray Loper, Jonathan Cortez, Dylan Burns, Jason Lusky, Malachi Wall, John Schultz, David Chestnut, Anton K, Brian W. Rath, Alan Trembley, Tyler Bello, Ryan T. Mandel, Tony Zaniga, Sean Battershall, Robbie Hensley, Alex Cabrera, Lennon Brixie, James Kinslow III, Will Caldwell, Hugo's Desk, Peter Reynolds, Anthony Vasquez, Adam Kiniston, Tyler Goodwin, William O'Carroll, Jesper Jansen, Max Cannon, Phil Crone, Throw Seven, Adam Nix, Josh McKinney, Michael Gates, Alex Gates, Ryan Robertson, Sean Chandler, Petro. Rose, Lockmore, Gio Corsi, Joey Gondoliger, Gerald Pennington, Justin Wagaman, David Iacolucci, Paul Joyce, Edwin Castillo, Chad Lewis, Enrique Perez, Joshua Smallwood, Shane Rayum, Spencer Brand, Don Lee, John Cordero, Keith A. Lewis, Marius Garson Peterson, Ryan Greenwood, Tyler Harris, Matthew Perdue, Patrick Harper, Mad Mock Media, Jonathan Rice, and Casual Misfits Gaming.